Hey guys, it's John, a Cut Above Horror Review, episode number 79, wishing you a very, very happy new year, 2023. So today, it's Heidelberg's pick. He picked Black Swan from 2010. We've got a very special surprise guest coming on. Here's a hint. This person has been a part of the show from day one. However, you've never heard this person's voice. So kick back, relax, enjoy episode number 79 of A Cut Above Horror Review, Black Swan 2010, and it starts right now. Cut my life into pieces. Good evening and welcome to A Cut Above Horror Review, a podcast where we review all things horror. I'm your host, Jacqueline, and tonight we'll be discussing the film Black Swan from 2010. But first, let's meet everybody else on the show. First up, it's Hydraberg. What's up, Hydraberg? This isn't Hydraberg. This is his darker self. <laughs> Uh-oh. What <laughs> What's should we going call on, you? <laughs> John, you're just doing pirouettes and little swan thingies. John, I, like, I, like, I like your form, John. John's being very graceful right now. Yes, like a so, ballerina. So Berg Hydra, Happy New Year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. How are you? I'm good. Happy New Year, guys. Yeah, 2023, our first episode of the new year. Bringing it in. Bow, bow. <laughs> and next up, we have the lovely, graceful, <laughs> beautiful <laughs> John. Uh, three of those things I've never heard in my entire life, but thank you, Jacqueline. Happy New Year to you. <laughs> Happy New Year, Hydraberg. And last year, I said my New Year's resolution was to bring you news each and every week, which I, I think I have accomplished. Uh, this year, yeah. I resolute not to mention <laughs> Rob Zombie. Oh, wow. shit. Oh, too late. You failed already. It's only yeah, the second late. day. It's only the second day. Just give up for the rest of the year. You're done. All right, I'm done. My resolution's <laughs> gone. Uh, but, yeah, well, it was nice for the 24 hours it lasted. <laughs> exactly right. Well, it's awesome, right. man. Our first uh, our first episode of 2023. Very excited about this. Uh, we did do a live video on our Facebook page that we could possibly, very quite possibly, have a very special guest. Uh, the hint I gave was... Somebody associated with the show, but you've never heard this person's voice. Do you mm -hmm. think you know who it is? And I, I guess we're going to find out soon. All a uh, big surprise to all of us, right? Zob Rambi, right? Zob Rambi. <laughs> <laughs> that was actually very, very fun. That popped me pretty good that there. Was <laughs> yeah, there might be a super secret uh, surprise appearance a little bit later in the show. So somebody that if. If you've been an avid listener, you would know of this person. So we'll see. <laughs> I'm excited. Yeah, I, I can't wait to find out. It's Nicole. Me too. No, I'm just kidding. It's Nicole. Again? <laughs> this oh, super secret surprise, surprise Nicole. <laughs> She's a part of the show now. Oh, my God. What a shock. Yeah. Nicole on a cut above. Oh, my God. All right. Well, John, are you carrying yes. through on your uh, resolution from last year? Do you have news for us this week? I actually do. Uh, I right. I sent you guys the text about the Knock at the Cabin trailer. It just uh, came out. M. Night Shyamalan's new movie coming out. Um, thoughts? It looks interesting. I don't want to get my hopes up, but I'm intrigued. The trailer reveals a good amount, and I kind of just I don't want to see anything else about it. How about you, Jacqueline? Uh, Hydraberg, I'm going to kind of continue what you were saying. Uh, so I have read the book 
that this movie is based on. The title is not exactly the same. It's based on a book called The Cabin at the Edge of the World. And um, I, I read it last summer. And knowing what I know about the story, the trailer gives way, way too much away. Yeah. I was kind of pissed. So I would say if if you are curious about a new M. Night Shyamalan film and it, you think it's something that you might want to go see, I would advise you not to watch the trailer personally. Actually, there's two trailers. I watched there's two official trailers out. I would the, avoid the newest one reveals a lot. If you think this is something you might want to see. I wasn't familiar with the first trailer. I did hear that that mm -hmm. there was a trailer number one and this was trailer number two. But to me, it oh. felt very it, it was actually kind of cool looking. It, it, I was I was really, really intrigued by it. And and the fact that Dave Batista is like this subdued, like because he, he's a big giant human yeah. being, but he's just very subdued and he's just like, I have to do this. And I went, Whoa, okay. So See, I don't I'm know. Already, I, I, I'm already I, upset that you even know that much. Like you shouldn't know. Yeah. That. Yeah. But, oh, okay. Um, so maybe I have that... a guess what they are, the the four people, but <laughs> yeah, you probably yeah, you probably do. And that's yeah. that's a bummer. I wish you didn't. But um yeah, is that's... he the one is he the one that was in Glass Onion? Did you guys see that? Yeah. Yes, he's I in haven't it, seen yeah. it, but he's in it, yeah. Okay. I did okay. not see it. Dude, I, I have to watch that. I've I've heard nothing but good things. I mean, I don't want to get your hopes up because I feel like there's a little bit of a backlash. Like, oh, people are saying it's too good and it's not that good. And so I don't know. But Joey and I watched it last week and we enjoyed it. So I, I'm not going to say it's like the best movie of the year, but actually the best movie of the year, I would say, is The Fablemans. We watched that a couple of days ago. It was amazing. I've heard that. It? Oh, it's the the new Spielberg movie that's like basically about tissues, his, right? his youth. Yeah. Um, I would strongly recommend it for anyone who enjoys movies. So that's definitely anybody watching or listening to us now. Absolutely. Uh, second story, uh, new poster for Scream 6 just hit. Uh, it looks like it's the subway route for uh, New York. It's pretty uh, cool. It is very cool. I mean, again, I'm, I'm not really familiar with New York. I mean, no offense. It's not a one for one, but it's, you know, a representation of what those posters look like. Yeah. yeah. And it looks, so it really looks cool. like a subway line map, yeah. right? And all yeah. the different lines are from, they look like from, there's five of them from the five films, right? Or six, maybe counting the new one, I guess. Right. And then, I didn't uh, count, actually, but. Yeah. And then I believe all the stops are victims that have died throughout the movies, except for Kirby, who's like closed. Her stop is closed with an X that on it. That is so fucking cool. Yeah. yeah. I think, yeah, cool I think that's a very nice Easter egg of perhaps what could happen in the next movie. So I think the whole concept of that poster was so creative. And so interesting and it like gives it's not just like a single image, you know, that you glance at and then you get it. It's like you there's a lot to look at and kind of yeah. investigate and follow in that poster. I think it's so cool. Yeah, there's not very much going on. It's very simplified. I mean, it's just the like lines it. and then you see all these names and stuff like that. And you just look at it and go, huh? It, oh, yeah. it captures hey. it, and it captures that like New York City vibe without being like too heavy handed. Right, right. Uh, like anybody from the city or any major city will notice what those what that poster looks like instantly. Like, oh, that's a subway. Well, and yeah. and that's what we know about the movie. You know, we know yeah. characters from past movies, but we know that this new movie is going to be set in New York. So, uh, like you said, Heidelberg, it's not heavy handed when it comes to that. It's just it's simple yet complex. Yeah, maybe. yeah. 
Yeah. Great, great idea. Whoever came up with that. I don't know if that was like an advertising agency or marketing firm or whatever, but that was a great idea. Yeah. I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, our, our IP. Yeah. We, uh, come into the new year, uh, the passing of a, I'll, I'll say great director because, um, I'm not a big fan of his most famous movie. Uh, Ruggiero Deodato passed away at the age of 83. Um, Cannibal Holocaust, of course. So, yeah. How? how RIP for sure. Um, Jacqueline, how were you introduced to that movie? Oh, gosh. I saw it years and years ago for the first time. I mean, it's legendary, right? So I probably saw it 15 years ago and have seen it three or four times total. Uh, the most recent being when uh joe bob had his his episode on that uh i think maybe a year year and a half ago mm -hmm. um so yeah but i mean that's that's a movie that everybody has heard of and i don't know a single other movie by that director i just know cannibal holocaust but um yeah what about you john uh actually it flew under the radar as i was really getting myself into horror movies a long time ago um movie uh, that obviously is infamous uh like you i got introduced to it with uh joe bob mm, um mm -hmm. and i couldn't get through the entire movie mm. i just i i had a really big problem they had this uh scene not to spoil it like a muskrat got like gutted on film and the sound yeah so that's that's the thing that's the most notorious thing about that movie obviously is that you know it's pretty well known that the animal deaths in that movie were real like those yeah. weren't special effects so uh what about you hydroberg what's what's your level of familiarity with that movie it was the uh, joe bob live watch the first time i ever saw that was it. your first time too yeah oh and then i've watched it since like a little bit just like john said it's just it's kind of a slow movie for me too it's it's more shock value than anything um i think it's an interesting premise like it's sort of like one of the first found footage movies, right? Like sort of uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the sort of vibe that it has to it. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know. I just it's it's the gore is pretty holds up really well. It's like really gross looking. Uh, <laughs> it just doesn't. I don't know. Cannibal movies don't necessarily do it for me, to be honest. They do make me feel uncomfortable, though, because it's one of those taboos in society that still, I don't know, gets to me. I mean, I watch a lot of horror films, but people eating people is just wrong. And like... <laughs> You heard it here, guys. People it eating wrong? people yeah, is Yeah, it just wrong. gets... It's a bumper sticker. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it, just, it makes me... It gives me the heebie-jeebies a little bit. So I give the movie credit for doing that. But the animal cruelty, I definitely don't uh, condone. That was That's hard. very upsetting, yeah. yeah. But that's and, a lot of films were done that way back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a niche subgenre that's definitely not for everybody. I definitely know people right now who are very upset about this passing. You know, people who are really into... Uh, into that movie and that subgenre, but it, yeah, definitely not for everybody. It's not without its its controversy for sure. He, uh, his story is interesting. Like the actual movie, the story of the making of the film and what happened, the controversy surrounding it. I think that's more interesting than the film itself, almost. Agreed. You know, like that they mm -hmm. thought that he actually had these like these people died, these actors died on on the set of his movie, and yeah, did he get arrested for murder? Yeah, because he had them like publicly. They they had to hide. They hid themselves throughout the the whole time they were marketing this film and when it came out and like everybody thought for real like it all was real yeah exactly yeah well that's all i got for news there jacqueline all right cool well uh before we get into talking about black swan i would like to introduce our super secret special guest 
I wonder if anybody guessed it on Facebook Live. Maybe not. <laughs> but I would like to introduce, for the first time appearing on our show, my husband, Joey. Welcome, Joey. Jacqueline really is married. She does. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> my husband, it's not all an elaborate delusion. God. Hey, back off, everybody. Yeah. What are you implying Good about evening. my mental state? <laughs> hey, Joey. Hey, Joey. Hey, guys, what's happening, man? Thank you. you so much for joining nice us, you. finally. Yeah, just looking forward to this opportunity to embarrass Jacqueline okay. every turn possible. It's like her ultimate nightmare. Okay. <laughs> I've told him, I told him I have already embarrassed myself so many times on this show that I don't know how much further damage he could do. So. Worlds are colliding, Jerry. They're colliding. <laughs> anyway, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today, Joey. I'm excited to have you on and, and have you be part of the discussion. Uh, you're, like you're, real quick you're, question. So, Joey, you are not a horror movie fan, but you enjoyed the movie we're going to be discussing today, right? I wouldn't say enjoyed this time around, but definitely looking forward to discussing it. Cool. Okay. Fair. He, you are a cinephile from what... Um... Jacqueline says, though, you do I, enjoy I would, it. I would cop to that. Yeah. yeah, I would cop to that term. Yeah. I don't okay. know if she told you my backstory, but my dad owned a chain of blockbuster videos in New England back in the day. So nice. I we think were, you mentioned We were that. getting those screeners. Yeah. If you remember oh, that gosh. while films were still in the theater and that was like our big source of entertainment was uh, free video so Seems i worked movies. at a blockbuster before yeah me too um <laughs> for the for the blue and brown blue shirt and brown khakis proudly yep. that's uh, probably pretty cool getting those screeners though like back in the day yeah yeah yeah. Well, one of the things that awesome. really attracted me to joey when we were first getting to know each other is that he is such a cinephile and his whole family is really into film, I think, because they had this experience of like getting to watch a lot of movies or I don't know if they were before your dad got into that business. But his whole family, his siblings, both of his parents, they see a lot of movies and I love discussing film. And so that's that's an aspect of being part of their family that I that I definitely really enjoy. So we definitely I think our, our early the early stages of our relationship were kind of founded on, you know, sharing a love of film to an extent. Right. Joey, do you have a favorite genre? No, um, I think when you, you've got that sort of connection to access to films and you're 12, 13, you start out with the usual fare, you know, action, shoot him up, uh, buddy cop things <laughs> and whatnot. And then you just, you just keep tiring of the stuff. And for, for me, that was horror was in there too, was big maybe age 12 through 15 like every friday night we watch a horror movie and then it just kind of got away from it just lost its appeal i mean and then it, you know you, you eventually get down the road of like indie movies and foreign films and obscure french new wave stuff and things like that just because it's like you've seen everything before mm -hmm. um that's kind of the evolution for me. And now it's back like, to like, we watched uh, Glass Onion. I was like, that was so much fun. And it even <laughs> knives out. Yeah. yeah. Back to kind of like the way it was in, you know, eighth grade. 
um, just like a fun, entertaining movie. Um, so it's kind of full circle, maybe. And a really dope cast. Yeah, it's one movie I haven't watched like is that. Glass Onion. So can be really good. It's got those kind of clue vibes to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I noticed that you stopped watching horror movies right around the same time that you would have started getting into girls. So <laughs> yeah, right. Maybe there's a correlation there. <laughs> yeah. Totally, totally. Um I think my dad told Jacqueline uh a story the other night about is this one friend's house that we'd always go to on the weekends and they had like no rules and you know it was a non-starter with my parents getting renting a horror movie but um for them it was like whatever like i was only allowed to have cheerios we're not talking honey nut cheerios it's just like or fruit brute boring <laughs> cheerios with no sugar and do you, you enjoy milk with your cereal joey or? Uh, yeah i'm 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 i'm, I'm, I'm sane so okay. yeah well that's um, debatable Somebody's on blast. You're welcome back on the show anytime. <laughs> <laughs> it's painful to watch her eat that. <laughs> strange. Uh, but yeah, they would have like Cocoa Puffs and Captain Crunch and all that stuff. But one night we were watching um, one of the Friday the 13th franchise movies. As Jacqueline she used, to use the word franchise. And um, my friend Brian's dad comes in. He's like, Six three, like two thirty, two forty, just a huge guy. He comes in with uh, a hockey mask on oh, and like, a huge knife, and we're like, ah! <laughs> and, and the next morning, um, one of the kids, Ben Webster, um, that Brian's parents woke up in the morning, and this random kid was had crawled into bed with him. That's fucking hilarious. That's yeah. great. Some random kid yeah. with you. Some random. Some rando. But Joey, I feel like that could be you when our kids are teenagers, like you sneaking up in the room and like scaring the shit out of them. Yeah. Uh I, I feel like that, that's gonna be you. They wouldn't go to bed the other night and I reached in with holy Minnie Mouse and I did a really scary voice and I think Jacqueline was upset. <laughs> he scared the shit out of them with Minnie them. Mouse. Yeah, he, I can't imitate the voice, but he made his like, voice go. Really Disney's weird. scary. I mean, they better get used to it now. So I was like, "If you don't be quiet, I'm going to get you." <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> what he did. I feel like everybody had that. Everybody had that friend whose house they could go to and break the rules or like yes. do the things that their parents yeah. said they couldn't do. And sure. watching renting horror movies is part of that. I feel like that yeah. was like a rite of passage when you were young before the internet. You know. Well, yeah. I mean, I had a I had a friend that had Cinemax, Showtime, HBO, so I was Ooh, able to watch. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. wasn't just horror movies, but there were yeah. other things on there. But I yeah. love going over there. Yeah. For me, my that friend was Kristen White, and that's where I first watched Tales from the Crypt. Nice. And so that was mm. really memorable for me. When it was I, on was, HBO. Exactly, yeah. and we didn't yeah. have HBO at my house, but Kristen White did. So we'd go over and watch The Crypt Keeper, you know, late at night. Nice. So you guys ready to discuss Black Swan? Let's do it. Sure. All right. So Hyderberg, this was your pick this week. Would you care to explain why you chose this film for us? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of uh, Aronofsky's films. I, I think he's a really good director. He's uh, you can tell his work when you see it. It's 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 different than a lot of films. Um, 
Did he do and Requiem for a Dream? He did. He also okay. did The Wrestler, Mother. He's, he's done a bunch of stuff. Noah's okay. Ark. Pie. Pie, yeah. I think that um, was his first feature film. And his films are really good at eliciting like an emotion out of you or making you feel something where a lot of films sort of just wash over you. And, you know, we watch so many films that, you know, they're all good in some way. They're entertaining, but his films sort of sit with you for a while. And I feel like this one's always I've only seen it the once, but I thought it would be a good pick and a good discussion. Uh, it's also like one of my 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 niece, Abby's like favorite films. So I told her I'd get it on the cast at some point. She doesn't really listen to the podcast, but I told her I'd shout her out. So, Abby, this one's for you. What's up, Abby? Excellent hey, movie Abby. taste. Yeah, she's only like 17, but she really likes this movie. OK, cool. I hope yeah. she listens to this episode. Yeah, I'm going to make her. <laughs> well, OK. Well, gentlemen, should we decide whether this film fucks or sucks? Yes. Absolutely. All right, Heidelberg, why don't you go first? All right. So, yeah, this is uh, this is much like a tryst with a woman who seems innocent at first. She's <laughs> kind of plain. But during the act, her carnal side comes to the surface. And after much scratching and biting, you're just left utterly mind fucked and in all the best ways. OK, wow. That was sort of poetic. Uh, Joey, as our esteemed guest, would you like to weigh in next? This is my second time seeing it. And I had a different take about a sexual encounter than than Hyderberg. to me it was like the first time was was meeting some you, you kind of heard about this person's reputation like Aronofsky <laughs> definitely has reputation you know what you're getting into it's going to be a, a weird wild ride so mm-hmm. you meet someone at the bar you kind of heard about this person they look like they've got some weird stuff going on like <laughs> kind of a weird haircut maybe it's green hair whatever <laughs> and then you go home with them and and things happen and turns out they've got all these like weird tattoos and piercings and stuff like that. It's, and, and there's like maybe some unusual uh, paraphernalia involved that night. <laughs> and that, that one night it was, it was very interesting. It was an experience, but you don't need to do it again. And then maybe you get like really drunk and you end up at the same bar and you're like, okay, well, it was a great experience. Let me, and then you do it again. You're like, yeah, I didn't need to do that again. It was like <laughs> one, once was enough. Once was enough. And that's that's like uh, what I felt about this film. A lot of Jack Once movies too. I feel like once to have that experience is enough. But there's nothing there's nothing in it that makes me want to re-experience it. And I think the the main problem is for me is just not caring about the characters. There's just mm-hmm. There's no nothing that that sucks me into this person's plight. I can't identify with this person at all. Um, visually, you know, we'll talk about it. I'm sure, very you know, stunning. But um, I, I didn't need to see it again. Okay, so, so a one time fuck is what you're saying. I would say a one time shtup. I'm going to use the Yiddish here, uh, but that's it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Fair. All right. John, what say you? Or poop. There you go. Um, Man, I I think Joey's kind of stole my thunder. However, I'm going to disagree just a little bit. I think it's there's always something in there when it comes to fucking. It was like um, you want to go back to it, but then after you do it, you realize why you didn't want to do it anymore. 
but you keep going back to it. So I'm going to say this movie does fuck, but it's, I don't want to say it's regrettable, but it's just uh, like you don't learn your lesson. Oh, okay. How about you, Jacqueline? I'm sensing a toxic relationship here where you keep going back to something that's not good for you. Well, very thematic. It, 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 it maybe maybe because it's depressing, and you're like, "Oh, why did I do that again?" Okay. Like Joey said, going back to the bar, you get a little drunk, and you're like, "Hey, all right." There you, for, was something... you forget. Yeah, you forget I felt why. I felt the same way about Mother. I was like, "Oh man, that was awesome!" And I never have to watch that again. Like it was like, <laughs> so much. It was like, yeah, so over the top. And I'm glad I did it. Uh, it's like but, a ride that film yeah. it assaults your senses yeah. but yeah. same with pie to the one that i would and i did have seen enjoy multiple times was the wrestler because he really develops that that character and you really yeah. feel that pathos mm-hmm. for that right. guy it's a different right. feel for him i haven't seen noah's Ark, so i haven't either i think that's the one major film by him that i haven't seen but uh yeah i i i actually think this film fucks and i for me i think it's it's worthy of repeat encounters um, I don't have the same feeling as Joey about inability to relate to the character, but um, we'll, we'll get into that more. But I think it's, I, I think it fucks. I think it has interesting stuff going on. And I also think that for someone who's maybe uh, hesitant about horror or it's not their thing, I feel like this could still be an accessible film that could be a bit of a crowd pleaser. Yeah. Um, even for somebody who's not super into horror, it's like, it's, it's not like a hardcore horror fest. So I think it, it could be kind of a, yeah. a, a wide, a wide appeal sort of film. It, for a lot it's of got just enough gore to be like very horror, but not enough to, or, or not to where it's going to gross you out, but make you cringe. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, there's some cringy Jacqueline body said, horror. Yeah. When Jacqueline said, Oh, we're going to watch this film. I'm like, that's not a horror film. And then, and watching them like, yeah, yeah, it had a lot of the usual tropes of a certain genre of horror, right? Like the mental illness horror yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Which I'd like to get into some of this because I know I'm often cited as like the medical expert. And there's some stuff about this film <laughs> that annoys me. Oh, uh, I can't wait to hear that. Medical. I cannot wait to hear that. that. That needs to be elucidated. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. Well, I, I think we all definitely want to hear that. Let's pause for just a second so John can drop the spoiler warning so we can mm-hmm. really get into the details on this movie. So, John, hit it. Got it. Uh, Black Swan, 2010. We're going to be discussing this movie in its entirety. If you have not seen this movie, make sure you pause the podcast. Go watch it. Come back to find out what we thought about it. Awesome. Please Joey, do. What, what are your thoughts on Reach Around? <laughs> I mean, I think it's very, very uh, impolite to not provide one. <laughs> I well, Hyderberg is the type of the, fellow. Is a w- he's is, a well-mannered gentleman. You wouldn't I'm a giver. By the common courtesy of of a reach around, isn't that the club? Something yeah. like that. Uh, Full metal well, jacket. Hyderberg, do you have a reach around plot summary for us today? I do. Whenever you guys are ready. Go for it. We're ready. As an innocence comes to life through a woman's young woman's sacrifice, a darkened beauty bathes in light, sees the day and slay the night. A true self seen through mirrored vision, light and dark from reflective prism, reveals a swan in a self-made prison. 
a young woman who lives with pain, beaten and battered inside her brain, put upon by her mother's strain, who suffers from her own refrain. Hollow toast made with champagne, a world of dance she can't explain. It's always been her home. She worked herself down to the bone, but can't survive on critique alone. A blackened swan that seeks her, seeks her throne. Her psyche breaks as flowers thrown. No little girl, she's now all grown. Her innocence, it came to pass. Her darker self, a final glance. Seizes up her second chance, a victim of her circumstance. Through discipline and broken glass, save the swan her final dance. Very nice, Hydrobar. Wow, man. I that was that. almost like a rap. <laughs> that was cool. Yeah. Feeling the flow. He does that for every episode. He he writes these himself every week. So, yeah, that's good pretty much everybody's favorite. Yeah, very good kickoff to 2023. Hydroberg's mm-hmm. reach-arounds are basically everybody's favorite part of the show. So yep. <laughs> the are. rest of us can just go home. Yep. But uh, Hydroberg, as always, I love that you touched on some of the, I think, most important points of the movie, which include, like, the mirror representing like a fractured psyche and her like vision of herself and the, the pressure put on her by the mother. It's, it's just great. great yeah. There's line. a lot of, there's a lot of those themes in this film. The mirrors, you, the mirror aspect is uh, used a lot. Actually. I loved mm-hmm. that aspect, but I want to get to Barbara Hershey as the mom. Mm-hmm. She was like the perfect casting idea that like for this movie. Yeah, Cause I was. thought she just played this restrained you know failed ballerina that that was pushing her daughter without saying she was pushing her daughter or like like kind of held back a little bit like i'm not pushing you but i'm pushing you Hmm. yeah she was kind of impressive uh and projecting a little bit on her daughter but in a loving way like it was loving but are we led to believe that she the that nina is the product of some relationship with some ballet director i mean possibly seems like, like and that she's seeing her daughter kind of go through the same motions with uh thomas yeah thomas. yeah there's some things that she's very worried about with her being uh taken advantage of sexually right yeah she says yeah. something like i don't want you to make the same mistake i did right, and right. has, he, has yeah. he tried anything with you yet and yeah right. i think I she said they're all gonna laugh at you <laughs> Uh, Joey for the horror neophyte that's from Carrie, but yeah, I, I kind of got Carrie vibes from her, not as crazy or religious, and she's not a zealot, but I definitely got sort of that you know, that overbearing mother. Um, you know, she keeps her daughter locked up. Nina's literally like stunted in her like adult, like she's adult, like an adolescent, but she's not, she's a grown woman, mm-hmm. she still lives what at home she, with her mom, 26. Yeah, she's in her eight, I think they said. Yeah. Yeah. She's her room's bathed in pink. She's got stuffed animals everywhere. Like she doesn't have Mm -hmm. any privacy. It's you know, it's not normal. No. The interesting thing I think about the way that Barbara Hershey's character is written and performed is that it's more nuanced than the character of Carrie's mother. Uh gosh, I can't remember her name, but She's not an out-and-out monster. She's not a caricature. She's not over the top. I think for a while, at the beginning of the movie, she seems like a very encouraging and supportive mother. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's not until a little ways in that you start to see some of the, like, she's putting on her and some like of the... Like the thing with the cake. Yeah, which almost seems a little like sabotage to me. Yeah. Um, but, at the, but then at the same time, by the end, she's like... 
Nina, get in here. You need your rest. Come on. You can't go out. You know, and she's like treating her like a child very blatantly. But there's there's kind of ups and downs with that. There's times when she seems really overbearing, but other times when she seems really supportive and encouraging and loving. And so it's it's a it's a it's a bit more subtle of a character than, for example, Carrie's mom. Um, okay, so Mila Kunis is real, right? Yes, it, I wasn't this totally is... sure about that. My first viewing, I wasn't sure. This move, this time that I've watched it, um, she's a real person. But she has a fantasy right. about Mila Kunis. Like she Mila does. Kunis is kind of like almost like the uh, start to spoil Fight Club. It's been fucking years, but like like the movie Fight Club, where Brad Pitt was actually a figment of Edward Norton's imagination, but Mila Kunis was actually a real person. However, like. Mila was kind of like that that person she wanted to be that carefree I don't need to be perfect yeah it's like the, the, the counterpart to her character right and I think I think we can be certain that she's real because she does interact objectively with other characters in the film yeah but a lot of what we see her do is imagined by Nina Nina yeah yeah so so when they when they have sex in her room doesn't actually happen. It, it that didn't actually happen. She was fantasizing about her, correct? Yeah, that's definitely how I read it. What about they you, may Mary? have had a moment in the cab or something like we see, but that's she as far like, as it might have uh, went. Consummating this relationship with the her dark side, her shadow yeah. self, as okay. Young would say, that she she was hold it was holding her back, not being in touch with this this dark darkness, her dark part um, i agree with that and and i think and that to, sorry joey go ahead in terms of casting i don't i don't know what the significance of if, if any is but i thought it was very interesting that the three female leads were the three uh main jewish screen sirens of our time with Winona Ryder being my generation, Generation X, and kind of like fading out with the beauty. Although she, I mean, if at Stranger Things, I think she's still absolutely amazingly, absolutely shockingly beautiful. Uh, but then you got Mila Kunis and Natalie Portman, and I, I'm not sure if like if there's any significance there. Um, but you know, Aronofsky is is Jewish too, so I'm not yeah. sure what you know if there's something, some reason for that that. He was, he was that's kind of interesting yeah that's um, an amazing thought i never even really thought about that but it is generational i mean i i guess like just looking at it objectively it's just i i see this you know it's the passing of the torch and then this is what's going to happen to uh natalie portman where her character later down the line until the very end it's like you know she, she's going to end up like winona writer which, yeah. by the way, Winona yeah. is gorgeous. So she is. Still. I didn't realize that she was Jewish. I did not yeah. know. That. I knew that about Mila and Natalie, but I, I didn't realize that about Winona. Her, her real name is something else. I was going to say it's not Ryder, is it? It's Winona. Is her real first name? It's like where she was conceived. I think so, like in oh. Minnesota or some weird story oh, Ryder, like that. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Um, very very interesting casting um and i don't know what that generation like the generation natalie portman is that generation 
Why or no, that that I would think be she's a millennial, millennial right? I think she's millennial, an elder millennial. I think millennial. she's the same age as me, and I'm kind of like on the upper end of millennial. Millennial, so. okay. Yeah, yeah, because so yeah, I'm a Gen Xer, millennial. so yeah. yeah. I'm John, actually... I think you and Joe are the same age, actually. Okay, I've never been the biggest like Mila Kunis fan, but I think this is one of her strongest roles. Uh, I know it's a supportive role, but I really liked her in this. I thought she was okay. I mean, it's just she she just kind of. The one thing I really uh, respected of what they did is that what they put their bodies through. I mean, my goodness, they they lost so much. Both of them just looked yeah. unhealthy. And Joey, I mean, you being a doctor, that looked unhealthy, just, right? Like the ribs. And it was like cringe, cringy for me. Just yeah. the, but probably quite accurate. Although I, yeah. I in reading a bit about the film, I guess. Some ballet people said this is every stereotype about ballet is is portrayed here, but I think that some stereotypes are, are there for a reason, right? And, right. Yeah, uh, and if I it's think, in that know, world, you have to touch yeah, on it a little bit. Just the, the jacked up feet and the anorexia or extreme weight control, and you know Natalie Portman I think is so beautiful, but she is too thin. I, I, I it was bothering me how thin. She was and her metamorphosis her there's a like there's a subtle body horror to this film it's very subtle it doesn't play on it like a Cronenberg film but I I do feel like yeah she like the way she looks very thin and a little gaunt and like the the stuff they do with her skin where you see these goosebumps like very subtly in certain scenes start to manifest and then go away almost like goose flesh, you know, Mm -hmm. like because she doesn't have feathers, but it's almost reptilian a little bit. Mm. And it's just sort of like, did I just see that or not? And then it's gone. Yeah, yeah. And then they play on it more in the end. It's so interesting that you said that the body horror is subtle and not like a Cronenberg film because um, Aronofsky has said that the physical aspects of Natalie Portman's transformation were very much influenced by The Fly. Which is yeah, of course, yeah. Like, no, I a could see it. Um, specifically, like the the feathers kind of poking through the flesh. Yeah, and the, you know it's kind of reminiscent of when Jeff Goldblum starts sprouting those like wiry hairs out of his body. And um, yeah, when she yeah, was, pulls that one feather out, oh, it's just like yeah, that. It's, it's kind of sickening, right? Um, but I did read that both Mila Kunis and Natalie Portman each lost about twenty pounds, give or take, to wow. play their oh, roles, man. which is upsetting. Right. Yeah, I got to believe that they went through a lot of rigorous training to learn ballet as best they could, you know, for the role. Because I'm like Natalie Portman. She slays this role. She kills it, in my opinion. I think it's one of her best roles. How much dancing did she do? I know. On screen? Uh, Yeah, Yeah, she did. It's it's reported that she did approximately 80 percent of the dancing. Really? Uh, Like if you add up. Does she have a background in that or she does this for the role? Okay. Both, both. She yeah. did have some ballet background for several years in her youth, and then had kind of abandoned it. But she did have some background knowledge in that, and then she did train. Um, I mean, seven days a week, fifty-two weeks a year for a almost a year, wow. leading up to the the shoot. And she paid for that out of pocket because the budget for the film was so low. Yeah. That she um she started she started training before she before the before it even was greenlit for production because she was so confident that it was going to get made and she paid for it out of pocket because she felt so strongly about it. I think you can see that in her performance, though, like how dedicated she was to this character. mm -hmm. I want to jump on what Nick said about Mila Kunis. I'd say while this is her best performance since Meg Griffin, 
she was still, <laughs> still a lightweight compared to the other. Yeah, I'm just saying, I think she held her own for the most part when acting alongside, say, Natalie Pointman. I was surprised, but you're right. She's not, you know. Yeah, she wasn't up to the level of everyone else, I felt like. I agree with that, but I also think that the role was not the role itself was not as interesting as yeah. some of the other roles. I mean, it's I think it's a pretty straightforward kind of character. I, yeah, um, I think she naturally kind of played it though. I, I kind of liked how at ease she was in that character. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I I actually feel like Barbara Hershey and Vincent Castle deserve a lot of credit for their performances they too are supporting characters but i think they're so um so believable and so emotionally affecting as each of their characters like vincent castle really comes across as a very um very convincing as like a, a talented and in control but also arrogant predatory i i couldn't take my of eyes off that guy character yeah. he kind of reminded me of pete davidson and then he's like ugly hot he's just like so <laughs> he's french he's like he's like they have that french rat face look but he's also he's like he's captivating you know mm-hmm. well, um, i think yeah I everybody was you. very drawn to him and wanted to to please him which was you know it was fantastic i i, I like the physicality i kind of i love the cinematography of this movie the way the way they moved around and he's dancing around with them and kind of directing them. There was this really cool scene where they're getting ready for the show and everybody's just kind of like, mm, just going around and he's like, do this, do that, do this, do that. And it was, I thought it was brilliant. I, I love the way this movie was shot. Yeah. I think his characters, he's got like a presence to him and you could tell he has a presence over these women in this dance troupe. Like, they all aspire to impress him. And, uh, you know, he's seen as this very talented choreographer or whatever you want to producer. Uh, and he's just very entitled. Seems like a narcissist a little bit, you know, but for good reason, I guess, just because he's, you know, he's up his own ass a little bit because he's very talented. <laughs> um, but he's just the kind of man that would definitely have sway over these women in his position of power where he does use that. There's elements of it where, it's like, is this his thing to just seduce these women, every woman that's in his troop or all the, the main ones, the principal ones? Or there's like elements he of it even, where he's using it to motivate her. Yeah, too, he so doesn't it's a even weird care. Line. He's like totally. I mean, when do you see man like that who's totally in control and can just shut it down like this? It's usually the, the man who kind of spirals out of control and can't stop and leads to assault or whatever. He's just like this chess master and he's just using them and even the the ruse of this seduction was just to get him to do what he wanted okay here's a plot point that i wanted to point out is okay so so natalie portman's character just was holding back she wanted to be perfect that was the whole point of her that why she danced why she practiced so much why she did what she did and then she got the gig which is like it brings up the question again about mila kunis is it just you know her subconscious of mila kunis being carefree and whatnot and that's what's like going inside her psyche of of okay well this is what got me the job of of okay mila kunis is a real person however she's not she's almost like a figment of her imagination but she's a real person she's just sort of an adversary in a sense um 
you know, she's the next in line. She's she's the the most competent as far as her competition, I feel like. Okay. Um, and I feel like the reason that Nina's picked is because she nails the white swan perfectly. Like you said, like she only cares. She cares so much about perfection. It's almost damaging. You know what I mean? Like that's right. all her life. She has no agency in her own life. It's all been about dance. And that's all she has. She has no relationships outside of that. Nothing. Right. She, well, Vincent you know Castle, I mean? it like explains well, to her. her. Mother. Yeah. yeah it, but her Vincent Castle goes, well, touch yourself. And you're like, okay. So and she and, tries, and, but her mother's in the fucking room. Like when she does, like it's true. weird. Until um, she has that. Yeah. Vision. But um, I feel like the point was like once, when she bit him, she kind of came out of character and he saw that he saw something there. And that's why he ended up picking mm-hmm. her over Mila Kunis because Mila Kunis okay. is just the bad girl automatically. Like we can see that. Right. But he needed somebody to be able to play both roles. And it was very challenging for Nina because, and, you know, obviously that's where, she, you know, she's obviously dealing with some mental illness even before she gets this role. This role just sort of pushes her over the edge. Right. Um, well, and John, to your point, I think that, you know, I think we've all agreed that Mila Kunis is real, but I think that in Nina's mind, she, even if maybe not quite consciously, I think she recognizes that Lily's character is is what she lacks. That's that's like her counterpart. Yeah. That's her opposite. And I think mentally she just sort of latches onto her as a rival, but also like almost an inspiration, like what she yeah. what she needs to be to Absolutely. to become perfect, you know, in in her ability to play both roles. But I think it's very confusing to her because I think she doesn't have a strong sense of self. And I think that's we kind of see that from the beginning with her. her like we, we see these moments where her reflection is distorted or she's seeing herself, but she doesn't, you know, it's 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 a little fractured. And and I think the use of mirror, I mean, there's so many shots of mirrors. Right. There's a lot movie. of duality. Like that seems to be the theme here a lot. Yeah. And so I think I think that kind of speaks to her not terribly strong sense of self and this yeah. It's an it's an internal struggle, but I think she's externalizing it with this with this other character of of Lily. And I think it's it's confusing to her mentally because she's already fragile and not yeah. really well. It's, um, I feel like she's been going down this road of just sort of doing her job and keeping like one of these smaller roles in the in the troupe. And then once this bigger role comes up, you know, she doesn't necessarily go for it right off the bat, but she wants it. And then like once it's given to her, she's overwhelmed. And but she, you know, she's a perfectionist. She's going to try and, and do it perfectly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like you said, the first time we get introduced to Lily, it's through a reflection. She's on the train. She sees this woman almost who rec- she looks like she recognizes her from her own traits. It looks similar to her. Right. They have their hair up the same way, but she's wearing dark. Lily's wearing darker shades. And then, you know, uh, Nina's wearing light pink and white, um, you know, white swan, dark swan, uh, black swan. Uh, but um, like she goes to brush her hair back and then Lily does the same motion at the same time. So there's this mirrored uh, image of it for a moment. And I feel like the duality of like a person is definitely a theme in this film. Like I feel like we, we all have a two like two sides to us sometimes. Right. There's the side of us that we kind of present to the world all the time. And then there's the side that we keep guarded that we only let certain people see. And I feel like that this film speaks on that a little bit with Nina. She's just never developed it as much because she's her growth's been stunted by her overbearing mother and her, you know, her dedication to dance and dance alone. Um, but I don't know. I just and even like um, when we see 
later when she goes to talk her her way into the role at in Thomas's office and also his apartment, it's all black and white. Everything in his office is black and white. There's all shades of black and white in this film, and then mirrored stuff like a lot of a lot of play with mirrors and black and white shades. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Joey, you mentioned earlier that you had some commentary on the kind of psychological aspects of this film. You know, you are a doctor. You were a psych yeah, major. I don't know yeah. if this is a good time to get into that. Uh, sure. I don't know uh, what your I'll thoughts just, are on that. I just want to comment one thing there. So I think to sum it up. In my mind, I think Natalie Portman's character is very rigid and I think a good term would be disembodied. Mm. And Mila Kunis's character, her relationship with dance is she's very sensual. She's in touch with her sensuality mm-hmm. and she is embodied. Like her, she feels the feeling of the music and it comes out in her movement. Whereas Natalie Portman is like an automaton that's like a computer yep. doing everything exactly right, but it's losing the feeling of it, which is what was needed for the Black Swan. But uh, yeah, one of one of the things that I find so annoying about um, it, it's a commonality in, in in film, and you see it a lot in horror movies is uh, this portrayal of psychosis with a a lot of because it, it, it just makes sense from the film standpoint to have a lot of visual hallucinations so visual hallucinations are actually extremely rare so it's it's much much more common to have auditory hallucinations people mm-hmm. hear hear voices they tell them to do things they're commenting on their life they're criticizing them whatnot but people don't typically have these complex visual hallucinations it's just it just doesn't happen um and the you, you saw a lot of that you see a lot of uh delusions um which it's not exactly really what happens. These delusions are these fixed beliefs that are just contra to all evidence. Like for instance, I saw this one guy in my training who believed that he was losing weight constantly every day. He was losing weight and that he was going to die. And we would show him on the scale. He was made the exact same each morning. He's no, no, he just wouldn't believe it. It, it didn't, it's like kind of a one, like a one sort of idea, not like there's this doppelganger of me who's like doing all this stuff. And it's just, it, it doesn't really work like that in the field of, of psychiatry. It's, it works from the film standpoint, but um, it's, you never see that such great accurate portrayals of what mental illness is, is really like in film. Um, when you come at it from the medical standpoint. Yeah, you need it to fit that narrative. It has to fit that narrative, right? So, like, it's hard to do that, I thought, probably, and and be one-on-one the way it would be in real life. It's tough. And I feel like she kind of picks up the themes from, obviously, that's the point of the movie, is, like, she picks up the themes of the doppelganger from the the work that she's working on, the, 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 the twin, you know, the evil twin aspect of it, and the dark and the light you know so 
I feel like that's where her brain manifests that. But yeah, it's definitely like it sounds it sounds believable. Like what you're saying is as far as people just kind of going down one way, one path. And I've seen some people that are had kind of out there and the auditory thing seems like definitely that's what they seem to suffer with the most is what did you say to me? And it's like, I didn't, didn't say anything. Yeah, right. So it's like and for so- reference sake, the, like the only people that really get visual hallucinations, people on certain drugs, mm-hmm. drugs abuse, or uh, very commonly alcoholics can get a certain certain type of what we call encephalopathy. It's like delirium where they see uh, little people and small animals walking around their rooms. But oh, other than that, that's something you, don't, I never knew. you don't really yeah. encounter yeah. visual hallucinations all that much. And there's certain, actually certain types of dementia where people can see, you know, but they always see people, well-formed people. And then the other thing is a lot of folks will have retained insight. So they'll realize, oh, I'm seeing someone who's not there. Okay. So that's, you know, in, in movies, like you never see that, right? They're always mm. like totally you as the viewer are taken in that this person's real, you know, mm. without that sort of insight. But that that's like, you know, maybe, I don't know, 50-50 that people will have some degree of insight. Like, oh, yeah, that's not real. So mm. when you see a scene where this film's like kind of playing on that, does that really take you out of it? Or because, I mean, I think it does a pretty it's it works for the film. But I could see if I had a background in that where I'd be like, no, that's not real. Yeah, it's it's just, yeah, you know, if you analyze it too much, it kind of loses the magic. Because I like, I think it's, I, and Aronofsky does this in almost all his films. He has a subtlety to a character slowly cracking. Mm. And he's very good at showing like the human condition and how we are at our most raw. And um his movies tend to have a, a part where it's all subtle until one moment where there's a switch and the dramatic part really takes place and where, where the movie just kind of switches tone and where we're like questioning the reality of our main protagonist. Like, oh my shit, oh my God, what's going on? Like with Mother, Mother does that slowly, but more like more intense. But this movie does it gradually. But it's I feel like, like it kind of earns it. I haven't like, seen Pi. Well, a lot like Pi to me that there's this, there's obsession, genius, and insanity. Okay. I know the wrestler doesn't do that as much. It's more of a just a straight character study. I feel like of a yeah. of a guy on it, mm-hmm. you know, on the downslide. But I I do like the the themes and the imagery that this film does with that though. Like I just love like just the opening sequence of it's a dream, but like Nina's all alone. She's vulnerable in the spotlight, which is like how she is in real life. She's like kind of down and. You know, the spotlight's on her and then like that dark figure like menacingly approaches her, which is her like psyche, you know what I mean? Like the dark side of her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it transforms, which is a pretty cool effect. I feel like the effects, even though you said this was done on a relatively low budget, they hold up pretty good for a 13 year old film. Um, I thought the transformation was nice and just like I like the way he like mimics her and then like, but you know, is behind her the whole time and then uh, suddenly takes control of her. And she can't seem to get away. And I know it's themes from the actual the work that she's working on. But I just thought it was pretty cool the way they do it subtly through like the language of dance. And it's a small scene just in the beginning. But I feel like it sets up the tone of the film pretty well without really being, you know, too in your face. Uh, I kind of like that about this film. I'm not a ballerina. And I still what? dig all the dancing. I know. Yeah. I always thought you, you were. Like, I know I'm very graceful and, uh, you know, quick <laughs> on my feet. But 
Um, yeah, no, I just like for those so sort of things, like I'm just a guy and I don't dig dance that much, but I think this movie kind of, I, I, I don't know. It, it, I got absorbed in it. I was just like, okay, this is that world. And I'm, I'm here. It, it's tough for a film to do that sometimes. So I think Aronofsky is pretty good at that. Yeah. I, I thought it you. tackled, I thought it tackled that very nicely. The, the, the idea of what these dancers go through. Uh, I just thought it was just a, a very, very well done as, not coming from that background because like you Hedgeberg, i'm i'm not a ballerina but those purettes you were doing i know they're so beautiful hey i watched the movie so it got now you know ballet you mimicked them (laughs) yeah exactly you're like neo i I just thought i thought it did a really (laughs) nice job of that you know and i think darren aronofsky really gives you an insight regardless of you know what the theme of the movie is whether it is the wrestler or or uh requiem for a dream or you know ballet a black swan it's just you see the struggles that these human beings go through so yeah he's really good at that another uh thought i had about the title is there's a term black swan event it's used in finance a lot Mm -hmm. to mean a, like a, a catastrophic or, or, or extremely disruptive event that no one could have predicted, mm-hmm. like just defies probability or, or, or likelihood. So I don't know if, you know, he was trying to in the choosing that as the name, you know, referencing that sort of concept too. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm not I... too familiar with Swan Lake, so. I know that. I mean, the Black Swan is part of that, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. so um, it's interesting. Yeah, and John and Hyderberg, I I agree with both of you about the way that Aronofsky communicates the themes in his movies. I feel like, you know, there's his his films tend to be very psychological and have a lot of symbolism in them, but I feel like they're still accessible enough that you can you can chew on it and you can gain something from it immediately. I I feel like his movies, they're not opaque, like a lot of David Lynch films, for example, like a lot of David Lynch films, you watch them and you're like, what the fuck did I just watch? I don't know how to make any sense of this. I don't know how to put anything together. What does it mean? Uh, Whereas I feel like Aronofsky is, and maybe that's more important to him. I get the sense that David Lynch, it's not so important to him to communicate like, a specific meaning it's more about like um you know just kind of having a feeling and an experience with the film but i think aronofsky has things that he wants to communicate and i think he does so in a way that's not hit you over the head you know there's some symbolism and complexity to it but it's it's still i think it's still accessible and you can you can understand it and learn things from it so i feel like it's a good it's a good kind of medium yeah and i hate there's probably a good chance that he's been you know, inspired by David Lynch uh, as a director. Um, there are different types of art, definitely. And Aronofsky has been known to explain his mo- over explain maybe his movies a little bit to his detriment. Mm. Like some people don't want that. Um, mm. But like, I know when I saw mother after I started, I started looking it up online. Cause I was just like, what is the symbolism here? And uh, maybe we'll cover it one day, but I, it's definitely another film that's oh, God, stuck with me not. since Ugh. dang it. Oh, Oh, you don't want to cover it. Okay. Ugh. Put like that Joey little one said in my before, pocket up here. Oh God! So next time I pick a trauma film, you're gonna choose that to punish yeah. me, right? Joey, she made me watch a movie about it, like chicken zombies, chicken zombies. <laughs> I've heard all about it. 
I did do that. I have to hear this over <laughs> coffee in the morning. Yeah. Um, there were oh. two. I don't know about. I was curious to hear if you guys felt the same way, but there were two choices that Aronofsky made that I found disappointing. Um, one was in, in both of these, I felt like there was a setup and it would have been a great little bit. Uh, and, and he didn't capitalize on it. So one was, I was fully expecting when Winona Ryder's character comes out of her coma that she looks at Nina is like, why did you push me in front of the car? Uh, I was like, okay, that would have been, that would have been a, like, good. And the other one was like, and I don't know why he did this. There was that lingering shot. It was like a couple beats too long on the mattress that she's supposed to jump on. And I'm like, so the best, I think it would have been such, such a better ending if she's climbs up on that precipice and, and maybe everyone on. starts clapping and she jumps the other way. Yeah, and that's what I thought. Her like, phone's like all jacked up, like everything's broken. I'm like, with this whole thing about the chart of glass, it was so weird and whatever. But well, I mean, it's like, okay, I've hit, I've hit like everything I wanted to achieve and I'm jumping the other way and I'm going to commit suicide right here and go out in ball flames. That would have been awesome. The shard yeah, of glass does that, use that, the mirror again, you know what I mean? It's the last time we really see the imagery with the mirror and the duality of it, like where she thinks she's killing Lily and she's actually stabbing herself. Like Lily's never been this person to her that she thinks it was there. It was always herself sort of. So I just like the way yeah, it was she's been in a struggle though. against herself. It's like the blood stayed in there until the very end. Yeah, <laughs> because she's got a costume Maybe change. She's clutching her abs or something. I don't yeah. know, but I don't know. It just kind of. Well, she had the black costume on at that point, so maybe like we didn't see. But yeah, you think you, it would have shown through there eventually too. I fucking love that black costume though. The scene mm-hmm. where she does the pirouette and is like transforming into the wings sprout. It's so Fragile. good. It's so like, beautiful. It's Thirteen years old, and it. I rewound it a couple times. It. Just like every time she turns, it's like more and more feathers are growing on her, but it's so well done that like, and then she's just got wings and she does this cool, like, like elegant bird, like, like dance. She puts, yeah, pose, she bows and then like pulls her wings back. And it's, it's like, I fucking love that part. And then like right after that, we see her from the audience's point of view and her arms are just normal again, but the shadow on the stage is like the bird. Yeah. Yeah. I thought so, that was all really good imagery. Um, so I, I read something about this idea of her dying and stabbing herself. You know, she thinks she's killing the like evil part of herself, but really she it's just herself. Um, so I it's I think that the ending was intended to be ambiguous as to whether she actually dies or not. Yeah. And Natalie Portman has said in interviews that uh she, that Darren Aronofsky intended for it to oh gosh what's the wording like the blood on her costume is intended to be reminiscent of like menstrual blood yeah and, ne- and, and she mm-hmm. was worried about that right yeah she was worried about that at first and then she but then when he explained it to her that way she was like oh this is killing the little girl the side little girl of me. yeah and so Natalie Portman herself interprets the final scene as not the actual death of Nina, but as the death of that like weak, Old vulnerable, man. fragile little girl part of herself that she's actually still alive. And now she's completed her metamorphosis into like a fully realized woman. And like during that moment, 
when she runs up that monument or whatever it is, um, she turns around, she does her little bow to one prince and then the other, the dark prince and the light prince. Then she looks at the, the crowd and she locks eyes with her fucking mother. Oh, man. And that scene got me. I was like, holy, like the first time I saw this film, I, I liked it. it. It, you know, kind of went over me and I was just sort of like, wow, this was something else. It caught, sort of like Joe said, it's an experience. And you're sort of like, whoa, I don't know if I want to watch that again. I watched it again this time and I had to watch it through a critical eye, which I'm kind of glad I did because I picked up on more of the subtleties. Um, and I just thought that scene just hits like her mother's there. Her the tears are welling up in both their eyes. And there's a mutual like respect at that one moment, regardless of what they've had going on, like where right. mom's so fucking proud of her daughter right now. And she sees her. But it's like, I don't I don't think anybody sees the blood or anything like that. Well, I, I got a sense, I got a sense of sadness from the mom, like like she was upset. You know, I, she had, she had realized John, I felt that, the same way. I thought there was fear. Yeah. in her eyes as yeah. well as like i thought that oh. she was like afraid of something that she was I worried thought it would was happen tears of she was so profoundly moved by this yeah. virtuoso performance and i felt it was she was very like it was it was pride i felt like pride and also too, maybe her own guilt like of was... driving her daughter this hard you know pushing her daughter this hard but seeing that you know being satisfied with the fact that like this is why i pushed you so hard look what you've done like greatness right I I, th- I thought there was both. I I thought there was a melange, if you will, oh. of emotions. Yeah. In her mother's eyes, I thought it was pride and being moved, but also like worry for her. Maybe fear was too strong of a word. Well, knowing the character is probably like some sort of ambivalence about her daughter achieving what she didn't achieve. Yeah. And you know what I mean. And mm-hmm. that's what she wanted, but also you know. There's a tinge of jealousy to yeah. it. I agree. Like with she that called too. in for her that day. She's like, "Oh, I called in and said you're not going to make it." But at the same time, she's worried about her daughter's uh, health because she's seeing a side of her daughter that maybe us as the audience don't get to see. Where we see Nina's version of what's going on, but to her mother, it's just Nina coming home and having this weird fantasy in the bedroom about another girl who's not fucking there. So you know, there's a I don't know. It's a different aspect for Nina's mom. I also and like she that. Does make a rem- I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. She does make a remark earlier that comes across as rather like blunt and bitter when um, Natalie Portman says something like, why'd you stop or whatever? And she's like, yeah. so the the career that I gave up to have you. Yeah, that's not a good thing as a parent to do. I, I understand that sentiment, but you don't want to ever utter that to your child because that just makes your child feel like, Oh, like I was I'm a burden to you. I'm a burden. It happens a lot. It does. <laughs> I remember my mom getting super pissed at us and being like, "I could have been a great interior designer instead. I had you." Oh, like, boy. It's got to be tough as a woman too, just because you you carry this child for so long and you have to care for it after. And men can just sort of stay at work and do their thing, and it's tough for a woman to to give her of herself in so many ways, like emotionally physically and then also like career-wise like and make this decision it's 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 got a way on a woman especially someone who was career-driven like her that's very um compat that's a compassionate viewpoint of you hydroberg and i i I do feel that way i feel like uh in general women have to make more of a choice about those kinds of things so um and also like this not saying everyone but it's you know, this career more. of dance, look what it takes from you. You know what I mean? So to give yourself to it, 
and then have to turn away from it at the moment where you think you might have hit greatness, which Natalie Portman's kind of like, well, you weren't going to, you know, so you, you're like, yeah, that's kind of what she was about to say, you know, like, mm-hmm. well, I'm in a per certain point where you should have been if you wanted to be at this mm-hmm. age. Also, I so I, this is not my own thought, but I read this online um, and I thought it was interesting. The uh, they they speak of the semblance between of the swan. And that how swans in real life, when they die, they sing their last song, which is considered perfection. And so Nina, when she dances at her last role, uh, she says, I'm perfect. And uh, like she reached perfect. It was perfect. She touched perf- perfection. So, so I guess that's where the first amb- swan song comes from. Which yeah. I, I didn't realize that. Yeah. So so it's not ambiguous if that's the case. I mean, she died. She, she possibly said or like perfect. even a side of her died. You know, we don't know. They, well, she they, died they as the white swan. right there. Yeah, yeah. She died as the white swan, which is you know the role yes. that she got. The black swan is what wouldn't come out of her, right? It did in the but very finally end. did. At well, yeah, cost. but then all of a sudden she converted back to the white swan, and she said, "Yes, yeah, when she dies, yes, yeah, she's in the white swan garb, and she's more her innocence is what seems to be dying." Well, so how do you guys interpret that? I mean, especially knowing now what Natalie Portman thought about it. Do you feel that literally she she died or it's symbolic of a side? I feel like she died. I feel like she died. But I kind of like that anybody could you could watch this film and take it the other way too. like the fact that you can do that. I I think I don't know. It makes the ending even more impactful to me. Um, I sort of feel like she did die, though, like she was dealing with so much. Where would her character go from here? You know what I mean? Like right. she got Agreed. everything she wanted, but it's almost like, you know, it's a touching tale of like, you know, you get what you want, but at what cost? And I feel like this was her ultimate sacrifice was, you know, Didn't the screen kind of get light. It got white. At the end. Yeah. yeah so that's like, like uh, t- kind of you're going to the other side. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then this and then the credits roll and it's got like that cool, like white with black feather black, background. Yeah. So. Yeah. I always interpreted it that she died literally as well, yeah. especially because what we know of the story of the ballet, the black swan, it says that she she does kill herself when she's she's trapped in this swan's body. And only through killing herself does she actually find the freedom that she was seeking. And so I feel like she had this pinnacle moment where she achieved perfection in her craft. And then and then I think she can just like be done. She's like, I felt it perfection i did it and then she's she's done and so i even knowing what natalie portman said which i think is an interesting idea as a as a viewer of the film i still take it as you know literal death of the character i think it right. fits better thematically that's just my my read on it so nick Agreed. just to clarify right before swan dies it sings its best song I mean, that's what this guy said online. I don't know that there's any actual. I mean, there there is the term swan song, which is the final, you know, the final act normally like right here. Your swan song is like the ending. Yeah. So. Uh, I don't Burn know. Not, we need to get like, a, yeah, we need to get like a swan expert on the show. Wait, <laughs> Joey, do you, what do you know about ornithology? Not much. <laughs> not much. But I mean, that does sort of speak because like when when uh, Thomas uh, speaks to her about Beth, he says that like her dance was almost like perfection. You know what I mean? Like, but it was dangerous. You know what I mean? The, the way she lived her life. And then I feel like Nina's sort of 
kind of soaks that in and that ends up kind of affecting her also also so like beth's death or like the stabbing of beth do we think did nina do that yes or was that i don't think it really happened well? I, I think, think it, it did because really she had she had the nail file. She did, and, and she, she dropped had blood it on in the her elevator. Hands, but she was also she was also um, you know not seeing things properly at the time, um, and no authorities ever came. She went home after that and slept, and then went to her show the next day. So yeah, like, it's unclear, right? I mean, there could be a there could be a, a you know a thought process of like, yeah, she did this. She went and killed Beth by accident, not realizing she did that. And then went home, slept it off and then came to her show, killed it and then dies. And then the cops end up wrapping it all up, figuring out like, wait, this woman was a dancer. And like, there's that, but this, the story doesn't really tell you. It doesn't, there's no closure in that, that thread. Mm -hmm. Um, I just always wondered if it was just part of hallucinations that she didn't even, cause she, you don't even see Beth's face at that moment. It's herself doing it. Right. Right. Well, and just like with Mila Kunis, you know, she thinks that she's killed Mila Kunis, and that was yeah, an, it was an illusion as well. It's just in her own mind. I love so that when I she just... comes back from one of the intermissions, she's sort of like, "Oh, I got a costume change. Oh, oh, I see the blood coming out. Uh, this isn't going to stop me. I need to do my last performance." Yeah. She like stuffs well, the, the show must go there. on. Yeah, the show must. Go <laughs> yeah. Well, especially <laughs> with because the at the time when Beth is stabbing herself in the face, her face changes to. Um, Nina's 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 face and so again I think it's just this continuing thread of her struggle against herself and so I just I never took that part literally myself but I I don't know how it was intended it's just the way I read it I sort of wonder though if this like there in the next day there would be like a news story about like crazy ballerina leaves this blood trail (laughs) of you know deaths but then again like she didn't actually kill Lily right Mm -hmm. so it would have just been Beth and then herself who died if she did die so Joey, how do you read that part? I my take is that that didn't happen. That was a hallucination. Hmm. Um, but I, one thing that bothered me was I don't think the prima ballerina would be doing her own makeup and wardrobe. I think I guess they needed that so she could be having these fights with imaginary uh Mila Kunis but you know just like putting the makeup on between scenes and stuff I'm like they'd have people bustling all around making sure she was perfect Mm, I'm not so sure about that I feel like in in the theater world especially because we know that this theater company this ballet company has been losing money and they've not been profitable I feel like from what I I mean I feel like at a fashion show like supermodels yeah they this is the, artists, but I feel like in theater, ballet, no. and opera, and my stuff, take I feel is like this: this is the premier. This is the premier ballet in New York, the premier city for ballet in the world, and that was just because, in general, people are not as interested in ballet. But the, I, my sense was that this was the best of the best. There are several references to it, though, like losing money and being like not well funded. So that my opinion but anyway well this is new york right yeah new york is gonna have the best ballet company in the u.s and probably one of the best in the world so i'm from new york i'm just telling you what the evidence in the story says i think that commentary was just that people are not the point of that was that people are not as interested in ballet anymore yeah and that means less money i'm sort of both ways because i don't believe it i feel like it could have been 
for the film because you need to get her alone in her in her dressing room. It was uh, the plot device for that. It yeah. could have been. But also, I, I, it's not the first time I've seen. Well, it, there, it was scenes in other movies, but where someone does do their own makeup in a busy thing in between acts right in the stage where they go in the back and they change their makeup they change their own wardrobe because everybody's hustling bustling so they can't have somebody constantly on top of you because they have all these other people that they need to get changed also and the fact that you're the star maybe would say that like okay you can kind of take care of yourself because you're that professional but at the same time they might have people to wrangle you because you are the star and they need to you know babysit you and make sure that you get your shit together in time for the film but i could also see them uh cutting back a little bit because of budget constraints too. Uh, it could be a plot device as well, but it's not the first time I've seen films do that where the main person does their own makeup. Touching on the makeup though, it looks so good. When she's in the black swan form and her eyes bulge out and like turn red. Oy. And there's these little audio cues of like muscle contortion and like weird, yeah. It's just very subtle, but you hear it. It, hear, it sounds like her backbone sort of like realigning, like wings starting to form or mm -hmm. it's very subtle. But I kind of I really dig. She just looks so menacing when she's got the red eyes. Yep. Yeah, I agree. And it's like and we see. Like, what are you saying? I was just going to say, yeah, it's like a cracking noise almost. Yeah. You hear like, like bones things moving around. In her yeah. Body. And like so we see her in that form where she's just fucking owning it. And then we see the expression of people around her that haven't seen that her in that way like the one guy who's like holy shit like that was amazing what she just did after she fell earlier right but um maybe she fell because the dude had a heart on because Mila Kunis <laughs> was rubbing his fucking junk <laughs> I was waiting for her to say that it wasn't my fault he was hard <laughs> but did um, anyone else find their apartment to be very like claustrophobic it, like the scenes in there were like kind of uncomfortable like well that's New York yeah, Those I didn't know. Are very like narrow. Even the apartment. Did you notice? Like even the hallways in the apartment um, outside were black and white, black like mm. black edges and then white paint. So it was kind of that same theme. I didn't notice that. Yeah. What were you saying, John? No, I I, I just I I didn't feel the claustrophobia, mm. um, but I did notice the black and white. Sorry. I can see it though because. Especially in the hallways on these kind of apartments in the city, they're very narrow. And then some some of the rooms open up, but um, sometimes they're just you know. But it's just like living in a the mom and it's just like kind of it's almost like some sort of fairy tale when the some you know ogre has the beautiful girl and is yeah. keeping her. And there's like no masculine energy in the whole. It's like the weird portraits of her, and there's really no. The, so, the male the male character is really so such a small part of the film. It's very unusual. There's no I noticed that also con contribution. Mm -hmm. it's, it's and I like wonder if it was ninety five percent. I was wondering okay. if it was meant to touch a little bit on like male abandonment, like in these girls' lives, because you don't see we don't know what happened to Nina's father. Um and the rest of the women in the troupe, we don't know anything about them that much, but we do see the way they look at Tomas and the way they want to impress him and the, and the way he's able, he's sort of this father figure slash love interest in all these girls lives. And it's a, it's a weird dichotomy. I don't know if it's meant to, what kind of themes it's supposed to touch on. Honestly, I could just be pulling, uh, but I just noticed like, they're all just like, Oh, he's in the room. Like we need to get in line, get in line. You know what I mean? So it's, and he's the only like, authoritative male in the whole movie really 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I agree with both of you guys. Um, it it is interesting and unusual to have so few male characters and so little um male presence. But I do feel that Vincent Castle's character is very memorable and a very like powerful yeah. character with a powerful energy in the film. And Hydroberg, you might be onto something there because at least when it comes to Nina. Because she has no father figure, she has no male influence in her life, really, and so I feel like that would, that could possibly, like that combined with her, the dedication that she already has, I feel like could lead her to be more and more desperate to want to please this like, person. There's, there's, no, there's like no even mention. It's such a weird thing in a film to not even have a little bit of backstory. Well, your father died. He, yeah. he got, fell on the third rail and got you know electrocuted. Yeah. There's always something. And then the, 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 the photo in the bedroom of the, her, the little girl, it like goes against all sorts of film, you know, typical beats, right? To not have any sort of explanation. It's almost like she was like a virgin birth, you know. Like such a weird, yeah, such a Maybe weird. Maybe it's what you touched on earlier. Like she kind of had her out of shame. Like uh maybe she had an affair or what she had a tryst with somebody. Yeah, I guess you're supposed to kind of think that. And had the baby on it's her so own. It's so subtle. It's it. not really yeah. it's not touched really on. But it was the director that, you know, a director of a of a ballet that got her pregnant so there you go that's what it seemed like like there's yeah. definitely that theory definitely checks out in my opinion mm -hmm. um and she sees the same thing playing out for her daughter but also like the star pupil both beth and um nina what do they call him what does he call her them his little princess right and what is it you know that's like a dad thing like dad calling his little daughter his little princess so it's like definitely there's themes of that there if you want to touch on that like i think you could pull those themes one thing i got a real kick out of uh is that vincent castle's character was like david would you f her he's like no or he's like no but that's that's her husband actually yeah that's a real ironic oh really yeah yeah all the dancers are actual husband yeah yeah that's hilarious know that Nice bit of trivia there. I guess it was actually yes. I yeah, do that's, like the, that's where they met. Tomas has some dialogue early on that I like too, and he's like, uh, Nina's practicing um, for him, and he's like, I'm paraphrasing, but he's like, I knew the white swan wasn't going to be a problem, but the metamorphosis into the evil twin black swan you need to work at. I know I saw a flash of her yesterday. Get ready to give me more of that bite, alluding to when she bit him on the on, and they're like nobody else in the room knows what they're talking about, but. Yeah. That that was funny. Yeah. I, I thought that was a, a great character. He's he's despicable in some ways, but again, I just there's he's so he he is such a powerful presence and I think reminiscent of a very real real life sort Absolutely. of person who you you can see these things about him that are distasteful and you know crossing boundaries but at the same time there's something magnetic about them and yeah. somehow even despite yourself you still want to like be noticed or seen by that person or, or I, earn their approval somehow it's a weird it's a yeah. weird um mix and it makes me wonder like the state that these girls like their mental state is when they're in these dance troops you know just trying to progress trying to stand up uh, stand out above each other you know like oh i, I want the lead mm -hmm. role and they're trying to show this 
this guy, man of power, like, hey, I'm the one that you should pick, you know, and I'll go to mm -hmm. any lengths to get the role, like I'll damage my feet or whatever. Um, and then like what he asks of them is like, he's definitely pervy and and uses his power to like, but there's a weird way that like he uses it to motivate her also. He gets the performance out of her that he saw. So it's, sure. it's so weird it, in an art way, sort of like the way he drives her. It's mm -hmm. almost like, was that his, was that what, what he was doing the whole time? Or was, you know, does he just bang all these tricks? I don't know. Well, like, it seems like, it, like he could, he could have banged her. Yeah. He didn't. He just, when he like pulls back, like you said earlier, he's like, that was me seducing you. You're supposed to be yeah. seducing me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's what I need. Like he really me. didn't have an interest. Yeah. Well, I think it's really painful to watch her struggle with with trying to let go like she, i think she intellectually understands what he's asking her to do and she just can't get the i mean she eventually does but it's in the duration where she she can't let go of that rigid side of herself it's really painful to watch and you can i mean she constantly looks like she's on the edge of totally breaking down yeah um i mean she looks like she's, she's almost being rejected in tears. like constantly and like it's her own, it's a failure, and she is not one to accept failure. I mean, we see how obsessive she is about this, and it's like the, some of these techniques that he's using on her and trying to, you know, he's very clear about what he's trying to get out of her, sure. and like for a lot of people, they would be able to rise to the occasion, and but for her, she just can't do it, and she seems like she's constantly on the edge of of breaking. Um, and then somehow at the very end, you know, she finally gets to that point. But um, up until then, it's like it seems like it's breaking her down further and further to continue to not be able to do what he's asking of her. And it's it's really painful to watch. It seems like that's his aim, like is to break her to an extent and then build her back up in this new form. You know what I mean? To break the innocence of her and bring in this darker side of her. Which he says you had a breakthrough yesterday and then like tonight you're going to kill it, which is like, wow, you had a breakthrough like the day before your fucking main performance. Like that's it's all like rushing in on her too. like the day of the performance is getting closer and closer. She feels like she's being sabotaged by Lily when she goes out and has drinks, which is like, why would you do that anyway? You already know you, you saw her put something in your drink. Why would you drink it? Mm -hmm. And that did happen in real life. Like Lily did put something in her drink. Right? Yes. And possibly to sabotage her. Who knows? Like, Lily does seem genuine, but we don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know, you know? Yeah. I feel like that's kind of a mixed bag as well. They're very catty, uh, like kind of, I don't know. Did All things the really escalate with the mental illness after the substance was put in her drink? Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, sort of a progression. I was trying to between think that, that and then stilling, seeing Lily, when she saw Lily, like get that, that role of um what do they call it um the understudy understudy yeah like when she okay. saw her get that that totally like that's when the paranoia really started setting in yeah I, joey i i agree with you i think that is really when the mental illness i mean we already saw it advancing but it really kind of went hyper you know parabolic at that at that point but i also tick. think that but i also think you were right towards the beginning when you said that that night out with lily and it kind of starts with her defying her mother I feel like that's when her mental illness seems to escalate, but also her her eventual metamorphosis into the mm. character that she needs to be and the shedding of this, you know, fragile part of herself. I feel like that's that really starts to ramp up then too. I feel like that kicks off the the ultimate transformation where she does finally let go. Yeah, and her confidence level like comes up um 
and just yeah like you said that that definitely is like shedding that was a great term that's basically what she's doing like shedding her older self right Hmm. uh well fellas we've i think we've picked apart a lot of this and gotten into some good analysis uh were there any other major points you guys wanted to touch on before we give our individual ratings uh nothing major sebastian stan makes an appearance in this (laughs) yeah that's right knows that yeah tom and jerry Tom and Jerry, yeah. yeah. Uh he he seems like a decent dude in this, you know. He, you know, they don't play him out as like this total cooter or anything like that. Um <laughs> I also like that um Barbara Hershey, she's she's got some chops in she's got acting chops, period, but she's been in some well known horror films. I, I dug that. Insidious being one of them. And the entity, which is not as well known for some people, but I really like her in that. It's a tough film to watch though. A it very is. tough yeah. film. Very, yeah, but she's great in it. She is great, and she's great in this film. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. Um, yeah, I think also kind of an underrated um, performance, but yeah. very good. All right. Well, fellas, let's give our ratings. Uh, Hyderberg, this was your pick, so why don't you give it to us first? All right. So um, the acting, I feel, is is spectacular in this film. I really think that this is one of Natalie Portman's, if not the best role she's ever done. I feel like she really gives herself to this role. Like, oh, Nick, have you seen Beautiful Girls, though? I have. Oh, best. Uh, she's she's just a great actress. Like, I've always loved her. I love, I, and I, I just love, not just like her, I don't know, like the, her on-screen presence. Like, she's just a super intelligent woman, too. Like, um, she's also from Long Island, so I gotta love that, you know? Um, but yeah, no, Natalie Portman's always been, I've always loved her. And I just think in this film, like, I think in this film, you see a different side of Natalie Portman that you don't see in all her other films. And I kind of love that about it. You know, I love the innocence and the vulnerability of her as this sort of meek character, which she plays meek a little bit, but it's like really more um, of a meek character than usual, you know, because she's got all these psychological issues. Um and then when she breaks as the black swan, I just love it. I mean, I almost want more of that, you know, but it makes sense to only get a little bit of it at the very end. Um, you can't have her just strutting around as a black swan for half the film. Um, and I think the rest of the cast is really good too. Like we touched on Barbara Hershey. I think, um, what's the actor's name who plays Thomas? Thomas Vincent Castle. Yeah. Vincent Castle is great. I've loved him since, um, uh oceans uh 11 2 or oceans 13 or whatever uh oceans 12 oceans yeah one of those i've loved him since i've seen him in the ocean uh he was the (laughs) bank robber the heist guy uh he was really good um i also thought mila kunis was pretty good like yeah her best role since meg griffin like joey said (laughs) um the cinematography john you mentioned it earlier it's it's gorgeous um there's some subtle things they do with the camera um it's there's times where I'm watching this film like I know it's a movie, but I'm I'm definitely drawn in further than most films. There's that barrier sometimes in between camera and, you know, the the screen that you're watching. And I feel like this film sort of uh, gets rid of that in a sense. I'm I was definitely drawn in by Nina's performance and her transformation in particular. I just thought it was really cool. Uh, it's very subtle. I like the build up to her break. It's well done and. It could have been heavy handed. There were elements, there were moments where the heat could have pushed it a little further and he, and, he, and he pulls back at moments where I feel like it works for that character. And I feel like any if he went any heavier, it just would have, I don't know, it would have taken away from the role. Uh, 
the club scene stands out to me as far as cinematography a lot. Like the, those flashing lights and the all the, the every time the light flashed, you saw them in a different position. And like that was really like if you have seizure issues, don't watch that that scene. <laughs> but I thought it was awesome. It was very it, like very disoriented. And then she ends up in the bathroom all of a sudden, like she blacks out and she's with some random dude. She comes to and that's that is how drugs work sometimes. Like so it's it's. It's tough, you know. It's a tough scene to watch at that point because she's like downsliding. But um, I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. The mirror tricks are small, really small touches uh, with the mirror tricks, but they're throughout the whole film. Uh, they're they're little little moments here and there, and then some major moments. But they all play on that duality that I feel this film like plays on the themes of duality. Um, also, you know. The black and white, I thought, is that plays on the same issue, the same themes. Her demeanor and her like her change in demeanor and like her skin. That the skin stuff is stuff that I didn't notice as much the first time I saw this film. Like until the very you see it in the very end, but like it's there and it's then there's moments where it's almost like fish scale, where like you see it in the sun in the light and then it's gone. And then it's there. Um and I just I just really like that. Um without the audio cues of the like the bone moving around. Um it's just really cool. I just I, I dig it as far as the overall look. Uh, the score, I think, is really well done. It complements the film really well, especially in the end. That's where I notice it the most, like in the end. But, you know, it's it's a ballet. So you're supposed to notice the score at that moment. Um, the story, I feel, is it's really interesting. I'm not I'm not a woman. I don't do ballet, but I was drawn into this film um, a, a lot. To be honest, this the second viewing. I think it's really well written and it's handled with care. Uh, I really like that about it. I think Aronofsky directs his ass off as usual. I, I'm a big fan of his. I'm continually impressed by his work and just his films never feel they never like feel good stories like almost ever. Um, but damn, don't they make you feel something when you watch them? And that's so rare when we watch all these movies to feel something and actually have this sort of like this emotion to something like, you know, we get emotional certain, certain scenes, but his films have a way of making you feel an edge. And I, I, I really respect that. Some people will view that as like, Oh, I don't want to ever watch this again. And that's fine. But you got to admit that, that, that first time you viewed it, it did something. Um, I really like the theme of Anna's the light and dark side. I touched on that already. Her constant struggle. I thought it's in all of us, that sort of struggle. And to see that like as a young woman with all that pressure, it's like no wonder that she broke, you know what I mean? With all that pressure from taking that role and her upbringing, it's just, it's very interesting. Um, and it's just, a, I think it's a beautiful and tragic tale at the same time. Uh, cons, I, I couldn't really find, i be honest, like I don't see much wrong with this film. I, I could see some of the themes like of duality, black and white seeming heavy handed to some maybe. I, I don't know, to me, I thought they were really good. Um, I really like the language of the film, especially through dance. You know, there's uh, it just uh, there is a language of dance. And I think it this film touches on that pretty well. Uh, the film puts you the final act. It's like it heavily relies on its ending. A, a lot of his films do. But I feel like it, it it nails that for some. It might not. So I could see that being a con. But like for me, it's not really. I'm just trying to admit cons that some people might pick. But for me, it's not really. So with that said, I'm going to give Darren Ar Aronofsky's Black Swan. I'm going to give it 10 out of 10 purettes. Pure wits. Whoa. If you say. 
Yeah, I, I just think this is a really good film. <clears throat> Even if you're not a horror fan, I mean, I, I, I'm sure it's got flaws. And but man, like the second watching was just really I was enthralled by it. And I was just captivated by the direction and Natalie Portman's performance. I just think it's so powerful. All right. Wow. A rare 10 out of 10 from Hyderberg. Interesting. Yeah. Joey, would you like to go next? Sure. The like I mentioned, the first viewing was an experience, uh, visually stunning, clever plot idea, and good execution. Uh, felt like going on a roller coaster ride. A lot of electricity to it but the second feeling once you kind of know the score there was just an emotional sterility to it that did not make it enjoyable for the second watch for me it was sort of like emotionally on the autistic spectrum disorder there was just I couldn't connect to any of the characters i didn't really care about them i didn't care what happened to them at all really and you know once you once you've seen it i just i couldn't get that feeling back um definitely taking a lot of good influences cronenberg um you know there's echoes of great sports movies and even kind of the first half of uh um full metal jacket you know just these these things where people are pushed and pushed and pushed uh till they go insane um it definitely was an interesting mishmash of of influences but i don't know if there's anything really really that's going to stand the test of time that was that was new here um, I think maybe these sort of themes were just as well explored and, and maybe more memorable with Pi. Um, so I would say in my review, I'd say probably the first time around, I, I would have right after that, I would have given it a, an eight maybe. And this time I'm going to say it's a, a two for me. So the average uh, we're going to meet in the middle there with a five. Okay. Five out of 10 pirouettes from Joey. So just to clarify something. So you said that the second time around, you felt like an emotional sterility to it, but on your first watch, do you recall whether you, you know, were emotionally invested in the outcome? Like, did you care what was going to happen to the characters the first time around? I doubt it. I just, think it was so stimulating visually that uh, I was I was uh, captivated by it. Okay. All right. But, uh, I an average, an average. It's kind of like, I was trying to think of analogy. It's sort of like if you're at a fireworks show or you're doing fireworks with friends, what have you. This movie is sort of like like an M80. It's just like mm -hmm. <laughs> blows up the mailbox but it doesn't have the sizzle and changes colors and like 
looks like the American flag or whatever. Like it doesn't have like other uh, dimensions to it to me. Okay. I, can see that. I feel like I'm analogy. sort of judging the film based on like what it might be like to see it for the first time again too. You know, this is only my second time, but it's definitely not a film that like mm. you want to rewatch a lot. I don't think any of his films are those films, to be honest. Exactly. I totally agree. You kind of hit it on the head. Like, I think The Wrestler is kind of one of the most rewatchable films that he's ever made. But even that, that's a tough watch. It is a tough watch. I've only seen that once. And I I agree that I would probably watch it again, but I need a break. I need like a long break before my second watch of that movie. His movies are heavy. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's true. Johnny. Yo. You want to give us your rating? Certainly. Um, you know, I'm on both sides of the fence here. I mean, I think this movie's damn near perfection because it's just the way the way it looks, the way you feel. Like the the score for it is, I, I think Heidelberg hit it on the head that the score was really, really good. I'm, but I'm not a ballet guy. I I, I won't go to a musical. I won't go to a ballet and like get enjoyment yeah, out of it. That's but that's just who I am. I, I I'm so uncultured. It's ridiculous. <laughs> um, I saw those pirouettes before pirouettes, man. You it were was just because I, I just watched the movie. That's why. That's yeah. how I knew how to do that. Um, <laughs> Natalie Portman is probably one of the most underrated actors that we've ever seen in our generation. She is so good um in everything that she does mila kunis was okay i mean she she didn't knock anybody's socks off but she played her part very very well i love barbara hershey as the mom she just it was uh, like a subtle i I think jacqueline you brought up the the carrie mom okay well it was a subtle carrie mom um you know, Vincent Castle did a fantastic job. And I love the fact that you didn't have to focus on too many characters in this movie. You just kept the focus on four. And yeah. it was it was easy to follow. Um, I thought the plot was fine. There was nothing, nothing wrong with that. But cinematography, score, acting was fantastic. Uh, like I said at the beginning, it's just not something you want to watch all the time. I, I I agree the wrestler is one that you can watch all the time because I think it's more relatable. I think it's a fall from grace of, you know, and, and especially me, you know, being in radio, COVID hits and then like these radio jobs are gone. But like when you get older and you're a wrestler, or you're, you're just an older individual. People are not going to look at you the same. So, um, yeah. But with this movie, it, it it's understandable is that you put your heart and soul into something. Re- relatability, not really, because it's a, a you know it's a ballet movie, but beautifully shot. There's really not anything wrong with this. However, it's not my cup of tea. So what I'm going to give it is a eight out of ten purettes. All right, eight out of ten from John. Very good. How about you, Jacqueline? Uh. I I really, really like this movie. I just in general, I love a story about someone's all consuming obsession and the psychological damage that can come from that. I really enjoy pie. I enjoy that kind of a story. I find it very engaging. Um, I love all the different kinds of themes that this movie includes. Um, you know, there's the theme of like one performer's fame fading and the next kind of generation rising to that prominent position, uh, the, the idea of artistic rivalry, the idea of a fragile psyche cracking under pressure, 
the quest for perfection and its unattainability, the dynamic between a parent and child and the te- the tension that can be there sometimes, all, all that stuff. I think it's all explored there, but it's not too much. I don't find it like overwhelming and they all kind of fit together, I think, for the purpose of illustrating this one individual character and the arc that she goes through. It's like all those things are interlocked together within her her experience and her psyche. Um, I love the trope of a story about uh, that that performers are performing, but that story that they're performing also playing out in their lives. And that's happening in Black Swan. I think almost all of the acting performances are superb. I do agree that Mila Kunis is like, I mean, she's good, but it's just okay. Like, I don't think her performance is particularly memorable. Uh, but then again, I don't think it's like that memorable of a character in and of itself. So it's just, I think she's kind of the the least impressive. It's it's nothing against her. I just think it's not that um, interesting of a character. But I do think Barbara Hershey and Vincent Castle in particular are quite good and as supporting characters. And of course, Natalie Portman is, you know, revelatory. I think her, her performance is wonderful. Um, the dancing is gorgeous i mean the dancing is just so gorgeous and the staging of the dance with the lighting and the stage and the the art direction i think is just so 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 beautiful um i mean it's it's art designed to the hilt i think and of course last but not least the music from swan lake so you guys mentioned the score the music while they're dancing is Tchaikovsky's music from Swan Lake. Um, I love classical music, and I think the music from Swan Lake is some of the most beautiful music ever composed. Now, it the score... Really Sorry? No, it is. It's really good. Oh, I love it. And the score that's that's being employed in the movie when they're not dancing is... Uh, a lot of it is taken from Swan Lake, but like played in reverse, so that mm. sounds distorted. Um, okay. And other and other music that was composed for the film as incidental music, it's trying to have kind of a similar flavor to the music from Swan Lake. So it's not all Tchaikovsky, but when they're dancing, it it is Tchaikovsky. Um, it's just it's just so gorgeous. Cons, like you, Hydraberg, I I really had a tough time coming up with anything that really bothered me, you know, terribly about the movie. I guess if I want to nitpick. I would say some of the digital effects where her face is kind of like transposed onto mm-hmm. another character doesn't look super great um, in my opinion, but I don't feel that's like an error on the part of the filmmaker. I just feel like that's sort of a constraint of the time that it was made in and yeah. a very low budget. Um, but it doesn't look terrible. I just, I don't think it, you know, holds up wonderfully. Um, Joey, I can, I can definitely understand some of the criticisms Joey had of it, but I also think some of that comes down to personal taste in terms of relatability to the characters, or I guess maybe not relatability, but ability to empathize with the characters. I don't necessarily relate to Natalie Portman's character in this, but I can sympathize with her and I can try to put myself in her position and imagine the, the emotional experience that she's going through. And so I do find that very engaging although I myself can't personally relate to that situation. Um, I, I, I don't feel I can give this movie 10 just because I, I try to reserve that for films that I feel have a real magic to them 
and something that I'm going to remember forever, something that really blows me away, like Hereditary or Black Christmas. And this, I don't think quite lives up to that. So I'm going to come in at a 9.5 out of 10 pirouettes for my score. Nicely done. Thank you. Yeah, I, I thought about a 9.5 and I'm still thinking about it. But No one told me you nope. could give half points. Yeah, you can. Would half you like to change? 5.5? No. Or 4.5? <laughs> And I gotta, disagree. I gotta yeah. disagree with you guys. I think Mila Kunis, her acting is phenomenal. When she goes down on Natalie Portman, I think it's one of the best scenes of the movie. <laughs> uh, she looks like she performs really well. Oh my god! <laughs> I'm just kidding. I do get. I do gotta say that the mirror mirror shots in there are are really top notch i mean we've seen a movie recently uh called last night, last so night in soho yeah which is the mm. best use use of mirror tricks but actually for 2010 that was very very well done yeah it's, i feel like it's not overdone what's that yeah. the scene where she's getting her measurements and there's like yeah almost infinite iterations of her yeah. like, that was like Weird, like little glitches, oh. just little mm -hmm. subtle glitches. And like yeah. her eyes look a little different. Like her eye makeup looks pulled back a little bit. Like she's eviler, yeah. more evil in, in certain uh, like visions of the, mm -hmm. in, the image. Mm -hmm. that was, and that's where like her psyche's really start, like the paranoia is really starting to set in. So yep. exactly yeah. right. Like it, it works really well for that scene. Yep. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, I do have a, a few trivia facts about this film. Would you guys like to hear those? Certainly. Yeah. All right. I'll try to keep it limited. There was a lot of trivia and I kind of tried to comb through and just pick the best. But in an interview with Charlie Rose, Natalie Portman stated that one of the most difficult challenges of making the film, aside from the dance training, was modifying her voice. She said that before working with Darren Aronofsky, director, directors had constantly criticized what they perceived to be the childish quality of her voice and encouraged her to work with vocal coaches to make it sound deeper and more adult. But the role of Nina required Portman to regress backwards and make her mm. her voice more childlike. And she felt that doing that took her back to a point that she had tried, you know, she'd worked really hard to leave behind and work past. And she kind of had to go back to that. And so she she said that was very difficult. Uh, let's see. Although the film was never marketed as such, Darren Aronofsky has always maintained that the film was meant to be a psychological horror film. So that's, that's what it is. What he says. <laughs> when shooting Black Swan, Natalie Portman sustained many injuries, which caused delays to the production. The most common injury was her left toe, which had to be restrapped while the cast and crew waited. This kind of delay was so frequent that it was called a Natalie Portman's left toe delay, <laughs> which was later shortened to Portman toe. Oh, boy. <laughs> it's funny. Um, oh, this you guys might find interesting. The budget on the film was so tight that when Natalie Portman had a rib dislocated during a lift and called the producer for help, she was told that the production could not afford a medic. She stated that if they needed to cut items from the budget, they could take away her trailer to hire a medic. So they did. The next day, her trailer was gone and she had to receive physical therapy during filming. And one of her sessions with the physical therapist was actually included that in the movie where she's oh. manipulating her rib cage. That, that was, was real. Creepy. Yeah, she's so like, that was expand real. your diaphragm and breathe this way. Yeah. So that was really her physical therapy session with the real physical therapist. And she wow. was told to stay in character what during that scene. What a smart move. That was great. Oh, yeah. man. Her commitment to this role, man, I feel like it's, it's evident. Yep. Yeah. 
you guys, I think you'll find this next one so interesting. Der, uh, Darren Aronofsky originally envisioned telling this story as part of the plot of The Wrestler. And he was actually develop- developing a project that was about a love affair between a ballet dancer and a wrestler. But then he realized pretty quickly that taking two worlds like wrestling and ballet was just going to be too much for one movie. So I think that was the wise choice. They have, to they have common similarities. I mean, the... Well, it's all well. That's exactly the choreography what it is. of the wrestling. Is, yeah, it's all choreography. That's all yeah. it is. But I could kind of see that semblance that he was going for with the Call film. It the It'd be tough to pull off, though. Having these the two Aronofsky kind of people verse. bump into each other. Yeah, the the Aronofsky uh, extended universe, cinematic <laughs> universe. I like. I prefer that, that to the MCU. The ACU. Hey, AC. hey, watch it. I will not watch it. No. Watch it. All right. Without this film, maybe Sebastian Stan wouldn't have gotten his role as the Winter Soldier. And then he wouldn't have gone on to movies like Fresh. I don't think that was the trajectory, but okay. Um, I, I think that was the wise choice to split these two <laughs> well, films I mean, apart, this film but... did come out before Captain America, so technically it was. I could not care less. Anyway, uh, budget-wise, we talked about the budget. Uh, he had originally hoped for a budget of about 28 to $30 million. The actual budget ended up being about thirteen million, so some restrictions wow. there. But I think it looks like a more expensive movie. I think Agreed. It, it looks better. All Most right. of it must have been like just people's salary. Your bank. I I don't know. I, maybe. Uh, here's maybe we could play a little game with this one. This is one of seven horror films to be nominated for an Oscar for Best Picture. Do you guys want to take any stabs at the other six that were nominated? We're not talking about winning. But nominations. Mm. There's six Silence others. of the Lambs. Yes. The Shining. No. Nosferatu. What? No. Bram Stoker's Psycho. Dracula. Bram Stoker's The Lodge. No. Psycho. Psycho? No. Dracula's not one of them? No. I'll give you a hint. The earliest one is 1973. The Bird. Ooh. Exorcist. No. Yes, John. Exorcist. So we have Silence of the Lamb, Exorcist. Um, Halloween. No. Shit. There's four more. Oh wait, Texas, hold on. Texas uh, I know. Chainsaw Massacre Part Two. <laughs> <laughs> I love that it should have been. Two. It should have been, but it wasn't. Bill Mosley was robbed. Yeah, because Part Two is the cinematic like masterpiece. Artist that, yeah, that's. Yes. I got one. That's the one. Get out. Yes, John. Thank oh, okay. you. Get out. All right. No, but get out one. It did screenplay. It did not win for best picture. It won for best. Oh, okay, okay. Screenplay. It's original screenplay. All right, there's three more. One of them, I'll give you a hint. One of them is uh, not American. Tatan. No. Raw. No, it's not French. (laughs) Oh, shit. All right, tell me when you give up and I'll just tell you. All right, Uh... Man Bites Dog. I said it's not French. Well, that one's Belgian, but no. Um, damn. House of a Thousand Invasion Corpses. Of the Body Snatchers. <laughs> House of a Thousand Corpses. Yeah. Ding, 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 ding. That's where you should have dropped Rob Zombie's name. I well, know. I didn't know she was doing right trivia. <laughs> uh, All right. Invasion I'll just... of the Body Snatchers. No, no, no. Okay, I'll just tell you. The other three are Jaws. Ah. Oh. The Sixth Sense. Uh-huh. And Parasite. Which oh, Parasite being the, yeah, okay, yeah, that's right. Fucking I forgot. Yeah, that's a bad. horror movie. That's loose. It's I a, think that's it's a it's mix a loose, of genres. Loose. loose Have you seen Parasite? Parasite. Joey saw it. Yeah, yeah. I would not th- put that in the horror camp. 
It's I, so it's got elements of horror though. It's but it's a mishmash of. Yeah. Did you like I it, Joey? Him- oh, I thought it was okay. Didn't love it. I I haven't loved any new movies in a long. I really like the Korean cinema. I, even so the I. films I don't like as much. They're just so different. I, feel I like did love, you know, I love Banshees of Inisherin or Inisherin. However, I don't yeah. understand. Oh, that's uh, that's like I, the uh, In Bruges sort of like. Yeah, I don't sequel, right? I couldn't, really a sequel, but... I couldn't really explain it, but it, it, I did, it moved me. Yeah, I don't, Those I don't know actors. really what it means, but it, it was very good, very good. Film. Hey, I'll, if it moved you, I'll definitely check it out. Because yeah. those two actors have chemistry uh, in Bruges. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Really good. good. And that was a Love film that stuck with me, too. Yeah. Yeah, definitely an emotional experience. That movie's got a tonal switch, too, where there's a moment that happens towards the end where, like, something yeah. different yeah, you're happens you're not expecting. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. All right. One last trivia fact, and then I'm done. Um, John, I'm not sure if this will mean much to you. Is this your swan song? Is that what you're saying? This is my swan song. Yes. Hydroberg, I think this is going to mean something to you. John, I'm not so sure about you. Joey, definitely not for you. But um, you may have noticed that there are some similar themes to the anime film Perfect Blue. Yeah. Hydroberg, do you pick up on that? So I'm not a big anime guy, but I, I watch Perfect Blue because Straight yeah. Chillin'. And then Aronofsky has admitted that he had he took influence from that film. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure that was a you pick chosen by Miles for the yeah. Straight Chilling podcast. And it was I think it was one of their most highly rated movies of the whole year. I think two years ago. It's, it's an uh, interesting film. Yeah. So and there's a lot, there's a lot of similar themes. Some similar themes, a female dance performer trying to be perfect, but overtaken by illusions of death themselves and emotions. They both question reality. They both try to become bad, but then they go through emotional tormenting to become perfect. They're shy and innocent. Um you know they they have an emotional journey towards perfection. So, but yeah, Darren off Darren Aronofsky did admit that some like the bathtub scene that's like a direct yeah. crib of I th- of a scene. Yeah, there there are images room. online of the similar scenes. <clears throat> There's images of some of his movies. Uh, I think Requiem for a Dream also has similarities from other another anime film, if I'm not mistaken. But I could be wrong. Um, he's he's definitely an anime fan, um, and I feel like this film. Originally, when he was writing, I think he was writing it as a treatment to like he was writing a treatment to do that film without permission yet to to make a a live action version of Perfect Blue. And then when he couldn't get those rights, I believe he kind of adapted it towards his own work and then created Black Swan out of that. That's interesting. I had no idea. Yeah, because a lot of filmmakers sometimes will do that. Like they'll get an idea and they'll work on something, whether they know they're allowed to or not, and they'll start writing it and then figure it out from there. Yeah. And that sort of affects uh, the final product a lot of times. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's interesting. I, I didn't I didn't know there was that history there. Um, cool. So we talked well, about anime on the show, Miles. So suck it. So get off our backs. <laughs> All right. Well, that wraps up our discussion about Black Swan. Um, we have more to get to, but uh, I want to say goodbye to Joey. Uh, he's going to run. But thank you so, so much for coming yeah, on the show, on. Joey. Spend some time with you guys. Joey, thank you so much. We appreciate you, man. Nice to meet you, bro. Yeah, nice to meet you. Bye-bye. All right, bye. (laughs) And he's gone. And he's gone. Um, What a dick. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, my gosh. Joey's awesome. Jacqueline, thank you so much. I appreciate finally meeting him. You know, fantastic uh, discussion about that movie. Yeah, I I really, I didn't know if there would ever come a day when he would agree to be on this show, but I'm, I'm glad that he participated. So thank you guys for, you know, 
giving him space to come on and and be part of the discussion. Absolutely. Maybe I he'll want to come on again. Yeah. We can get him you on. You know he's always welcome for Aww, sure. Thanks. Yeah. Well, guys, I know that we had talked a little bit about giving a quick rundown now that yes. we're in 2023, giving a quick rundown of some of our favorite movies from 2022 now that that's over. You guys game to do that? Yes. Yeah. All right. Um, top five, if you will. Yeah, top five. Um, Hyderberg, since this was your week to choose a movie, would you like to go first? Sure. Kind of your week? Um, these films aren't necessarily, I'm not going to name them in any necessarily, like an order oh, per okay. se. I mean, my top, my number one film is a film that I had the most fun and like enjoyment watching. So that might stay at number one, but I could see other films taking its place. But uh, I just okay. kind of threw this list together. But okay. at number five, uh, I like I really like Deadstream on Shutter. I just thought it was a fun found. It was a different take on found footage. It nails that found footage vibe of like why we have these cameras set up in this situation, why we're getting these POVs and the character, although can be a little bit like annoying, that's the point of the film. You know, that's the point of his character. He's an influencer. We're sort of playing a little bit towards influencers and like saying like, you know, some of you guys are like, got your head up your ass. But like at the same time, like he's kind of charming and you kind of want him to make it out of the situation and all these different things happen. And I'm not going to maybe one day we'll cover it. But I just thought it was a fun film um, and I, I liked it. It had to be made on a on a shoestring budget i'd bet and i thought i thought they pulled off a lot with w very little um and it just stood out to me uh nice. number four i got fresh with sebastian stan uh hulu has been kind of killing it silently this year with like straight to streaming films i was tempted to put prey on there also because i've seen it on horror list i don't consider it necessarily horror you know uh but it's it prey was also a really good film so i chose fresh instead because i that's definitely horror and it's got a great vibe to it it's got a great aesthetic it's made really well there's a couple flaws to it um but it definitely stuck with me since i've seen it and the performances are really good there's not too many actors in it and the 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 interaction between the main act the protagonist and the antagonist is really well done there's a really cool like title screen setup for the film that's not seen in most films that i really enjoyed uh, so that's why it's on my list aesthetically and just like tonally. I really like the film. Uh, third, I picked Pearl over X. I really like X and without X, there is no Pearl. But man, I love Mia Goth in Pearl and I love her performance. Uh, I, I, have you guys seen Pearl? Have, I have not. Okay. Not on my oh, list. Shame on you. I'm sorry. I'm but, sorry. I, well, I'm busy. So we covered X and we all we all enjoyed X for the most part. But, you know, it's <laughs> you know, it's got its flaws. But like Ty West, he's I think he he threw we like we know that he threw Pearl together based on interactions during filming X. And like just based on that, I feel like it, it could take a bump on the fact that it's thrown together so willy nilly. But they they nailed it exactly what they wanted to do uh, in the film and the performance by Pearl. Uh, Mia Goth just kills it. There's a mm -hmm. there's a monologue in it that is memorable. One of the best monologues I've seen ever in a film. Whoa. And it's got a great ending. I don't want to hype it up, but it's a really good performance. And it's like Mia Goth's slowly been on my radar. But after Pearl, like, I'm just like, all right, give me more Mia Goth. Let me see. Uh, she's had a year like Jenna Ortega almost like where she's just been in so many really good horror films. Um, second for me is The Innocence. That was a uh, Nordic, I believe, film. Uh, Norwegian, I'm sorry, Norwegian film. Um, 
from it was on Shutter exclusive. Um, and I don't know if we'll ever cover it here on the show, but it deals with some sensitive themes. But man, it stuck with me. Um, there's just some stuff going on in that film that like I haven't seen too much in other films. It's mostly centered around children and the performances are really well done. And there's just some really creative stuff going on there and it just sticks with you. And, you know, I gotta, I gotta, I, I like, as it might not be the most enjoyable film to watch for some people, but it's, it's memorable. And so for that reason alone, it's definitely on, on my list. Uh, number one is Nope. Jordan Peele's oh, Nope. Okay. I fucking love Nope. I was wondering what you were going to pick. A Nope was so fun for me to see in the theater. And I'm a fan of Jordan Peele and I, I really like Get Out. I have to see Us again because I'll be honest, Us kind of fell a little flat for me. It's a great film, but it fell a little flat. But Nope, I know it doesn't bring as much like social commentary as his other films, but like, does he, it still shows his growth as a director and a writer. And it shows that, yeah, he can handle like a blockbuster film, like a, a summertime film. He can handle, like he's, he's diverse. He's diverse. He's got so many different avenues he can go in as far as a writer and director. And he show you know, it's an homage to films that he grew up with, which I, I like when directors show that a little bit. Like, it doesn't bother me. Some people, it's like, oh, that well, he's just cribbing off of something else. That's fine. Maybe you don't like Tarantino's work because of that. But like, for me, I get why he shows this. And for me, it's like, I pick up on that also because I like those films. And I mm. pick up on the films that he's touching on. And for me, nope. I saw that film at least twice or three times in the theater in IMAX. And it was such an enjoyable film this summer. Uh, in a year where we finally got back into theaters and started finally getting back into the swing of things. And like, that was one of those blockbusters that just was so enjoyable to watch. Um, so for me, yeah, Nope's number one. And that's my list. Uh, you want me to give like uh, a worst of one worst sure. of? Did we agree yeah. on that? Sure. I don't have, I, I don't really have any honorable mentions or anything like that, but I have a worst of, and that's Halloween ends. I think it's the worst film of 2022. As far as horror films go. Oh, it's not so a horribly crazy. made film in all aspects. Like there's some craft there. There's some things that people do enjoy. And I understand why they do. But for me, man, that film dropped the fucking ball. And that's all I'm going to say. I could not go. disagree with any part of that. All right. well, I didn't <laughs> no? watch it. So thank God. No, why don't you go, Jacqueline? Go ahead. Okay. Uh, okay. I Once again, I feel like I might alienate myself with this list, but... Uh... Culture guys was your favorite film of the year. Yes. Well, can I say, can I say real quick before you start Jacqueline, I was so boring this year. I didn't watch a bunch of brand new movies, but the ones I did, it's just kind of based off of what we reviewed. Most of them. Yeah. Well, so I was going to say something similar. I don't think that's boring. I think you're a busy person and there there was a lot. It was a chock-a-block year, um, you know, full of horror films. And I was tempted to ask if we should just make our list the top films that we just saw for the first time. You know what I mean? Like not even films that came out this year, but maybe we could do that next year or I don't know, but um, it's hard to get out. Yeah. I mean, we already watch a film a week for our podcast and there were so many new films and we don't always do new films on the podcast. A lot of them are older. So, you know, it's, it's tough to get in as many films as you want to see. So I was going to actually say the same thing on straight chilling. They were talking about like, Oh, I saw 56 yeah. movies this year. I saw 68 movies. As I counted, I, ca- I kept a running list for the whole year of all the new horror movies I saw. It added up to 16. So that's how many new movies I saw. So there are a lot of big ones that I just didn't get to yet this year. Like, I haven't seen Pearl yet. I want to. I just haven't mm-hmm. done it yet. Same. Um, I haven't seen, uh, 
you won't be alone. I had to, I mean, there's yeah. a whole bunch. I didn't see Hellraiser yet. There's a ton that I intend to get to. I just haven't yet. So it was if, a it was an embarrassment of riches as far as horror films this year too. It oh, was exactly. So if there's something major that's not on my list, it could be because I just didn't see it. So um, that being said, um, these are kind of in order. But only kind of. As Heidelberg said, mine could kind of shift around. But this is just kind of the mood that I was in at the moment I made my list. And I'm, I am I chose these movies based on just how much I personally liked them. Not like objectively, artistically, how good they were. You know, like mm-hmm. if I were an actual film critic, which I'm not. Just my, in terms of pure enjoyability for me. Number five, I chose X. Uh, I really did enjoy that. I think it was like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre film that I wanted yep. Texas yeah. Chainsaw Massacre to be, and it wasn't. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I I loved the setting. I loved the whole feel of it. I liked the cast of actors very much. Um, all of them, really. I just, there was so much to love about that movie. I really liked it. Number four, uh, Scream 5. I really enjoyed that, but I, I'm, I am a fan of, big time of the scream franchise Heidelberg, i know that you're not so much of a fan of it but i did see it in the uh, theater though it was a it was a it's a good movie it 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 really lived up to my expectations and i i was trying to keep my expectations low because i didn't want to be disappointed but i i feel like it really gave me what i want out of a scream movie yeah i, I think I, it was better than a lot of the sequels that they've put out since yeah uh, I agree. Um, it was it was fun. There were it was suspenseful. There were cool deaths. There was like a cool. I liked the reason behind everything at mm-hmm. the end. You know the kind of meta commentary. Um, I I liked that whole thing. It was I, I found it very enjoyable. It was a great slasher. It was exactly what I wanted out of a screen movie. Number three, Terrifier right. two. Oh, I knew that was going to be somewhere on here. I loved it. I just loved it. Um. I get that it's not for everybody. I truly do. And I get why some people would absolutely hate it or even at best feel lukewarm about it. I get it. Um, But I just thought it was so much fun. It wasn't perfect. I do think it was way too long. I think it could have been trimmed down. Um, I think, what's his name? I almost said Darren Aronofsky. Um, Damien Leone. I think he, Mm -hmm. he has a lot of ideas about what he wants to do, what he wanted to do with this movie. But I also think he's kind of been planning sequels and stuff and was just trying to cram a lot into it. I think it was too much. Um, But that being said, I love the next step that it's taken, especially the improvements it made over the first one. Um, I, I love Art the Clown. I just, I think he's just such a great new horror icon. I love it. So Terrifier 2. Number two, Barbarian. Mm. See another one I want to watch. Uh, yeah, I, I would. We might be covering it. it soon. Who knows? Maybe. Wink, wink. Um, such an interesting premise. Uh, one of those things where you are kind of screaming at the screen to the main character, like "Don't do that!" and uh, and it really kind of flips on its head. There, there is one main thing about that movie I don't care for, but I'll save that. I don't want to spoil anything, but um. Overall, I thought it was a really, really enjoyable and creative movie. I think some people felt that it really didn't bring anything new, but I, I did. I think I it felt does. Like I didn't see some of the plot points coming. Um, I, I think I it's an feel... impressive film for what it does. I think so, too. I think it, it, it has some surprises. I think it's tense and suspenseful. I enjoy the actors. I just I thought it was a really. I think you want to really... go into that one as blind as possible, too. Yes, That's do not read stuff about that movie. 
just don't do it. Just don't watch trailers. Don't read reviews. No, just, just watch just, it. Just watch it. Exactly. Number one for me, from the moment I saw this film, I was like, this is my favorite film of the year. And I saw it in June or July, but I, I was know like, this is it. This is my favorite film of the year. And since June or July, that has not changed. It's fresh. Wow. Oh, wow. I knew it had to be on there because I'm like, she hasn't mentioned it yet. And she, you've talked about this film a lot. Yep. I loved Fresh, period. Whoa. That's all I'm going to say about John, it. Have you seen it? No. Like I said, I, I didn't watch a lot this year. Wow. Well, you might be forced to watch this film. And I think I will. Maybe right watching now. it in the, in the near future. Real quick, my least fa- I I have to say two of my least favorites. I could not just choose one. Um, I, th- I do think one is slightly less horrible than the other, but my absolute least favorite movie of this year was the Texas Chainsaw Massacre reboot. Man, I forgot about that. That was really bad. I fucking hated almost everything about I liked it. Never the- I liked Leatherface in it, though. I I did not. I I just I hated it. It was such a disappointment. I thought it was a complete utter failure that I cannot believe somebody put that movie together and then thought it was okay to release it. I just, I like the, I, ending. I'm incredulous. Um, slightly less bad. My number two is Halloween ends because I do feel like it, it completely fails as a Halloween movie. If you took it out of the Halloween franchise and got rid of Michael Myers in it, I feel like it could work as a standalone movie. But the fact of the matter, it is the fact of the matter is it does exist within this franchise and as such it completely fails so those i just i hated them wow that's a great list uh here we go john's number five again prefacing by saying i didn't get to watch a lot of new movies i'm gonna say if you want a fun romp vhs 99 at number five okay that's one i didn't get to yeah Uh, i didn't i enjoyed 94 more (laughs) than 90 99 yeah and i did too but i mean it was just actually this one was actually uh, had some some humor to it, so it I, I think all the segments did. So it's it's definitely it worth felt a little out. rough. Yeah, I mean the, the the last one I actually really enjoyed. Uh, number four, we we actually did episode thirty five on this one. I blame society. Oh, that came out this year. Yeah, I loved that movie. Oh I just God. loved the director. I thought she did a bang up job as far as like uh at her acting ability and stuff like that i actually look forward to see what she does next so i do too okay uh we've already mentioned this one in number three nope man okay. i i did not like it when i first saw it the second time i saw it i said this movie is awesome because i flip-flop my two and three like daily so um my number two is terrifier two Mm. yeah at the number two yeah Somebody's that on, you want to talk about it, just a gory good time yeah, Terrifier like 2 said, might be in my top 10. You don't know. It's just not in my top 5. Right. Is it well, in your top 10, though? <laughs> yeah, there's a, I mean, I, I gave it a 6.5. It's it's not a horrible film. And I and I, I like all the improvements that, that Damon the only man. I think he everybody, most people will say that he went a little, he swung a little hard, like even harder this time. And that was to his detriment a little bit. You know what I mean? Like Agreed. he needs to draw it back. Uh, but I do think it, progresses the film and the lore a good amount and the character of art and it's got great gore it's got fantastic gore dude i I mean it it was so much fun and then we've already mentioned this one my number one movie of the year was x awesome nice was gonna give it to you the x is great (laughs) you like the big dong swinging right like kid (laughs) connie's dong 
King Cuddy, swinging, swinging low. Um, my <laughs> that movie's got favorite. boobs in it too, John. I'm surprised it's your number one. X, I've yeah. seen it a couple of times after we reviewed it, and I, I know I wasn't really high on it, but like watching it again, it was so good. It does have um, rewatchability. Yeah, it does. Um, what did you hate my, this year, John? I'm with you, Jacqueline. Texas Chainsaw Massacre was awful. Thank you. Who the fuck are the Sawyers, bro? <laughs> I did, that, that was our. That's how we that rated it. Who the fuck are the tickets. Sawyers? Uh, the other one, uh, and we had a special guest it. on. Allegoria, man, mm. what a fart sniffy movie that was. <laughs> that came out this year. I totally yeah, that was this year. Yeah, on Shutter, and I was I, I was kind of stoked because it was Rob Zombie's brother Spider One, and I was just like, the movie, oh, right? hey, you know, maybe this is going to be a little bit better. But it was so fart sniffy. It was just like, well, I'm an actor. Well, I'm a musician. So let's mm. make a gory movie off of this. <laughs> mm. Okay, but do you guys remember the one thing we all that we all agreed was good in that movie? The soundtrack. No, the credit sequence. All of us were like, "Oh yeah, it had an oh, awesome credit sequence. Like, it looks so good." That's how we knew that it was a bad movie because that was the number one thing <laughs> that, was that the we best enjoyed. Thing yeah, it did have an awesome credit. credit sequence. Actually, that's right. <laughs> it had some like it had elements of a good film. Like it could have been, I don't know, a couple should have, would have, could have. But man, it was yeah, uh, yeah, not right. good. It was not good at all. Yeah, I think Anya was on for that episode when we she reviewed was. it, and, and she didn't yeah. even enjoy it that much. She but cursed she my name. She cursed like my name for like a week. <laughs> All right. Well, very, very good list, John. I I, I, I can't find anything to like vehemently disagree with any of you guys about, except maybe I blame society, but that's just, you know. I know you have a problem with that. Difference movie, of opinion. I do it. think I, it was I an interesting it. film and I like, I like the vibe of it. I like, uh, I, I would like to see her other work. Like Jillian, people... um, Jillian, what's her name? What's her last name? It's Jillian something, right? Yeah, something yeah, like that. Something anyway. alien, I'm sorry. It wasn't a bad movie. I just I thought it was kind of medium. That's all. I had fun with it. As the kids would say, you say it was mid. It was well, mid. See, the other yeah. movies I could have talked I sound about like a young was person? Virus 32. Mm-hmm. Oh, I hated that. Was that was not film. good. I should have put that on my good, list. But it, it wasn't. That was, that was from good. this year? Yes. Jillian Wallace. Mm, yes. Okay. Yeah, she was. She's good. Man. Looking forward to seeing what she has. Yeah. There's also Black Phone, The Sadness. Yeah, uh, no, I mean, those are... Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. I haven't seen that. Soft and Quiet. Men, Crimes of the Future. Soft and Quiet yesterday. I really want to see... um, What is it? I Live Alone or I Am Alone? You Won't Be Alone. Won't Be Alone? Yeah, I'm interested in seeing that a lot. That's pretty much next on my list. Yes. It might be a good pick for us to cover one day. Really? Yeah, maybe someday. Hmm. Hmm. John, do you really? think that we might be able to cover that someday? Well, geez, uh, Jacqueline, thank you for asking. Uh, I believe it's my pick next week. So I think what we're going to cover is the box office smash, literally $200 million fucking dollars. We're going to cover Smile next week. I'm so happy because that is one I did not get to see. So Are I'm you really smiling? I'm really smiling because I'm really happy you picked that. It gives me a reason to watch it because I didn't get a chance before. So I'm really happy that you John, Do you know that. where it's streaming? Shit. No, I don't. It's all right. Um, Probably on Amazon. Maybe HBO. I don't know. Um, I just want to see if it's quick. streaming for free anywhere. Oh, I Netflix. seriously doubt it. I seriously doubt Amazon it. Yeah. And Amazon. It's a subscription, but that only means that there's like you need to subscribe to yeah. say Showtime or something like that through that. Yeah. It's not on HBO. Okay. Let me see. Anyway. 
it's on oh it's on paramount plus oh, yeah cool. oh that's probably yeah, so where if you have paramount plus free. it's free yep yeah uh beyond that you I, I subscribe I through know. paramount like through amazon for paramount is what you guys should check out the uh upcoming list because I, I made a few changes today oh really oh, okay i, I will check it out all right well that covers next week as well so if any of you guys want to share your top five lists or your number one least favorite, feel free to email us at a cut above horror review at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at cut above horror. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at a cut above one word dot horror underscore review. And make sure you follow us on Facebook, a cut above colon horror review. Want to say a huge thank you to all the five star reviews we've gotten on Spotify and iTunes. Keep those uh, uh, reviews and ratings coming in. And uh, I just want to say a huge thank you to all our listeners. I want to say a huge thank you to my co-host, Jacqueline Hyderberg. Welcome to 2023. This year, oh, yeah. we've got a lot on the docket. We are going to experience our 100th episode sometime Ooh. in late May. We're going to do our very first live watch party where we're going to record the podcast as we're Ooh. watching along. And we're going to have uh, the people that listen to the show join us, ask us questions. Uh, we'll, we'll get more into that as we get closer. That's going to be sometime in april and we have a couple crossovers coming up i also want to thank joey for coming on he's not on right now on the, on the zoom call but uh it was awesome having him on and i'm just he added a lot to the discussion and i'm really thankful for jacqueline you making us have him on no i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> no no it was really good i enjoyed it well, thank you guys for being welcoming to him, especially since this, this is not really his milieu. I kind of uh, hope that we might have been able to sw- like he had enough fun enjoying the discussion where he's like, you know, that that was fun. Maybe I'll watch a couple more of these films. There's a couple higher brow films we might be able to get him into. We're trying to hook you up, Jacqueline. That's what Hyderberg saying. I appreciate that. I'm I'm <laughs> trying skeptical. To blend however, I feel like he he would come on. I feel like the movies he'd be most likely to to want to jump in on would be sort of like things that are a, a melange between horror and something else like horror adjacent kind of things uh-huh. like right. uh i think he would be interested in they live john carpenter's they live really? um and he mentioned repo man and he was trying to convince me that that was a horror movie oh, i remain with, unconvinced um, uh what's his name I don't know who's in it. But it's his like favorite movie, and so well, if we, if we ever do, they live. I'm getting that bump of I'm here to kick to ass kick and ass chew bubblegum, and, and I'm all out of bubblegum. Yeah, we we would definitely need that. <laughs> anyway, but thank you guys for being welcoming, especially to kind of a non horror fan. But I think the discussion was really good, and um, yeah. I'm glad I'm glad Joey came on. I will thank him for that. You know, when I get off, and uh, yeah, thank you guys. I'm glad to be starting the new year with you. I'm looking forward to seeing you next week so we can talk about Smile. Keep it creepy.